For the last year, Baz has faced horror and won. Now, Baz will finish. <laughs> My nervous system is at your disposal. Mm. Uh, to be mocked by the fucking idiots that listen to this podcast. This episode of the podcast Under the Stairs is brought to you in conjunction with Legion Podcast Network. Check out the podcast Under the Stairs and many other shows over at legionpodcast.com. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode number three in season three of Baz v Halloween. That's right, we're already at the halfway mark of this five-week odyssey of atrocities. The Baz is doing very well at the moment. He has somehow managed to keep things even, Stephen. Every time I think I'm making a bit of ground, the Baz comes back. So... Let's see how he fares on this episode. But before we get into the movies, we need to introduce the man. I kind of feel like there's like a Rocky montage. You just like binge watching movies. Um, it is, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the Baz. Hola, my sexy little, can I get an amen, bitches? <laughs> I think you would be a great kind of... TV evangelist. I think you'd be awesome at it. Absolutely, big man. I threw my heart and my soul into that intro the night, my friend. I'd heard it. I felt it. I felt it in my bones, Baz. Yeah, I always, I always, I'd be one of these mad fuckers that charmed the snakes and all that. You know those kind of creatures. <laughs> it's not the you first know. time you've been called a snake charmer, Baz. Treasure snake charmer. Preaches with snakes. <laughs> Preaches with snakes. That'd be your Indian name. We'd have to remove wanking badger. <laughs> preaches, preaches with snakes we're not getting rid of wanking badger <laughs> never seen someone cling to to an atrocious name so vehemently <laughs> so I like to roll big man <laughs> hey, how, how have you been big man you ready to accept your lord and saviour Jesus Christ into your life uh, if by lord and saviour Jesus Christ you mean Almighty Satan, then yes, Baz, I'm I ready to. I mean, the Lord and Jack Daniels. Jack, oh man, I could murder a Jack Daniels right now. Oh me, I'm on, I'm on the last of my stones, green ginger wine. That's how fucking bad things are in the Baz's <laughs> house these days. Honestly, fucking <laughs> drinking this. I imagine you kind of like like salty tears dropping into the, your glasses. You you kind of just look at it going, is this is is this what the Baz is reduced to? Horror movies and stones, green ginger wine. Hard times at Casa del Baz, mate. Her fucking granny's perils are getting hawked in a couple of fucking days now. <laughs> I'm off into Falkirk to track down a bottle of the good stuff. <laughs> and the, the old gal that I wanted. A <laughs> prize heirlooms passed off for green ginger wine. It's like some sort of wrong version of like Jack and the Beanstalk. Baz and the green ginger wine. <laughs> uh, that could be that could be a Christmas panto this year, the teapot's Christmas panto. <laughs> we should do that. So like I said at the start of this episode, we are at a halfway point just now. Um not not going the way I thought I was gonna go. 
Uh, funnily yeah, enough. Bizarrely, it's not going the way I thought it was going to go either, and I thought it would go the exact opposite the way I think you thought it was going to go. Yeah, I, I genuinely thought by this point I was going to have to win the last three episodes. Yeah. Well, maybe we were on the same page. I thought I was going to stroll it a wee bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not panned out that way at all, because... We're sitting at two each, but the two, the two that got me were complete fucking sucker punches. Yeah. The, well, I mean, um, this was not expecting that at all. Well, this one's a bit... This is a more conventional episode. And, and by conventional, I mean one of the movies is conventional and the other one is not. Uh, so, it's not really conventional at all. Um, <laughs> the reviews we'll be covering in this episode. Up first is The Seasoning House from 2013. And then right after that, we will be doing a little found footage feature called The Last Exorcism from 2010. And again, an hallelujah! <laughs> Which you can obviously hear, Baz has embraced. Um, right to his very soul. Uh, it was weird because, like I said um, last week, when put, I kind of grudgingly put this film on the list because I didn't really like it, but I have the sneaky suspicion you're going to dick it a whole hell of a lot. So we'll need to wait till later on to find out if that is the case. But... Uh, we're going to chatter the illusion again. This is just mere days after your back-to-back recordings of... You really are going for it this year. I love it. It's a fucking shift, man, honestly. <laughs> there are reasons behind it, obviously. I'm just... I'm ploughing through. Um, I've got an awful lot of stuff going on. and um, But I am conscientious, and we do commit to these things, and... Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm not the type of guy that can let people down if I say I'll do something do you know what I mean so well we did say that, that means that you and I need to abandon all husbandly and fatherly duties for the next fucking three weeks <laughs> that's what it's going to take well but the thing is like like because we know that you know October's going to be a busy month for you we basically even said this is how dedicated you are the listeners out there this is how dedicated the, the Baz likes to have a laugh but when it comes to business the man is deadly fucking serious and I had said to him Baz, you know what? For you, we'll just cut it back. We'll just do one movie per episode. And the Baz was like, hell fucking no. We said to the listeners, two movies each episode. We're doing two movies each episode. And that is a commitment shown by this man here. You are a fucking agent, sir. A big gent. (laughs) I am... Before we actually had the discussion, I had been sitting at home fretting over everything I had to get done in the coming weeks. And... um, the teapot stuff and Baz V. Halloween in particular was sitting at the top of the pile and I'm for fuck out ten movies, man. No. Cause we we had planned to start it in August and for numerous reasons that never happened. Yeah, yeah. And well, well we've had the start of fucking September here. And and the, the thought of well, maybe we maybe we could just cut it down and we'll just do the five found footage. And it entered my head briefly and I went to bed, I kinda slept on it and I got up the next morning like that. Do you know what? Fuck it. What we're going to do is we're going to do the first four films this weekend. So that's two full episodes done. And then I'm on fucking track and it gives me a bit of breathing space and we duly nailed that fucker down. We did, we did indeed. And we're right back here again for some more recordings. So, um, we have a, a long road to tow here, Baz. Is there anything you want to say to our listeners before we kick into our first movie review of this third episode of the third year of Baz v Halloween? Mate, I've not got time for chit-chat, man. 
<laughs> let's uh, let's just drop trow and get on with this motherfucker. Oh, dear, oh dear. Right, so we're going to take a very short break just now. You're going to hear that bitchin' intro for the, the Bands v Halloween segment. When we return after the first trailer, we're going to be discussing the Seasoning House from 2013. Myself and the Baz are coming right back right after this. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. Most effective, Your Majesty. Will you destroy this Earth? Destroy it utterly. Send Rick and Danny in Wool Rocket Ajax. So, just destroy it? That's what Ming said. Don't you ever listen? Well, there's no arguing with Ming. Hail, Hail Ming. Ming. Wait! You see those transmissions on the Visua screen? Crow? Nightmare on Elm Street? Chud 2? Black Belt Jones? Nightbreed? What's a critter? I've seen those things. Flash? I guess we could wait a while before the destruction. Yeah, and watch the movies. And talk about them. The Helming Power Hour. Disobedience to Ming. For now. You can find us at Legion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. At www. You know what? Just Google it for yourself. Just Google it, you bastages. Helming. Breaking two? Electric Boogaloo? Samurai Cop? Army of Darkness? Flash Dance? <laughs> we might destroy the planet if it's Flash Dance. Hello. You've heard of Honest Movie Trailers, right? This is an honest podcast promo. I'm not going to fill it with sound effects and explosions and quotes from movies and all that kind of stuff because, hey, I wouldn't want to build up your hopes on the production values of what you might actually get if you download our silly little podcast. Instead, I'm just going to put in a highly inappropriate in-joke that you won't get unless you listen to the show. The little pot of horrors. The best idea since premarital sex on Halloween. Like I said, pussy's back on the table. Find us on simplysyndicated.com and on iTunes, if you dare. Try and try and stay to the end of this film, we dare you. No problem, son. No fucking problem at all. And I put in my notes, I'm quite unnerved at this point. The big bang and like the, the camera kind of shudders, so there's a kind of movement to this bang. And at this point, I was quite freaked out, I think. I've written here, right, the go get Arturo Brackett's Oscar's brother and go to house. Out come the Glocks. Yeah! Jesus, Jesus wept. This time she's just dragged right down the stairs and right into that cellar that we've seen previously kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've written here, shat myself. They use a Simon toy as a Ouija board. 
And I've written here right after that, beyond shite. So they get out of the old faithful Ouija board, and it never ends well. Uh, no, I've, I've that... I don't think a Ouija board has ever been brought out anywhere, either on television or in real life, and ended well, by the way. Just don't ever fucking get one, kids. At this point, I had one of my little involuntary shits. Oh, yes, um, <laughs> um And my Avast virus database has just told me it's updated there and scared seven shades of shit right out of me. <laughs> I fucking hate computers. We then go back to what I'm now referring to as Ouija Simon. Um, and I can't even remember what happened there because my notes say utter shite, Lord. Just fucking dreadful, Duncan. <laughs> so bad. Basby Halloween, year three. nothing outside these walls for you to believe in anymore. You will work for me. You will learn how to be kind to my friends. Your life now is here with me. We were passing, so I thought we'd come and use your amenities. Whatever you need, you know that. So you've just heard the trailer for this first movie review of episode number three of year three of Baz v Halloween. This one is The Seasoning House from 2012. Now it says 2012, if memory serves, the movie didn't come out in the UK until the following year. And even then, I don't think it was really available until like late 2013, early 2014. So this must be like a festival date or something. Um, it's directed by Paul Hyatt. Um, written by Paul Hyatt and Connell Parmer. Um, the movie stars Rosie Day, Sean Pertwee, Kevin Haworth, Anna Walton, Gemma Powell, David Lemberg, Anna Wess, Sean Corrin, Tommy May, other folks are in the movie. The That's unbelievable. They're all British actors and you got two of their names wrong. Did I? Amanda Wass and Sean Cronin. I think that when people hear it back, they will give me the benefit of the doubt. Uh, so I bet they fucking don't, but anyway, I carry on. Don't. I bet they don't, but I bet they don't care, Baz. 
but they don't care. But I don't think anyone actually listens to me do that bit at all until you highlight my mistakes. I'm and honestly, I'm sitting scrutinising IMDb here. You're a motherfucker. Pouring over it, waiting to catch you out. Oh, see, is this a vulture? Is this a sexy vulture? Yeah, sexy pronunciation vulture. <laughs> the synopsis, there, there are two synopsis uh, on um, the old uh, IMDb bus. Uh, one is written by a guy in Brazil, and the other one is written by a guy known as Dr. Midnight. <laughs> what what would right. you want me to read? <laughs> I think it's got to be Dr. Midnight. He sounds fun. Right, he says, The Seasoning House, where young girls are prostituted to the military. An orphan deaf mute is enslaved to care for them. She moves between the walls and crawl spaces, showing the little kindness where she can. When fate brings the men that murdered her family, and the reason she ended up in the whorehouse, a chain of events begin that will end her captivity, free the girls still alive in the house, and grant her revenge on the soldiers that destroyed her life. Whoa! Spoiler alert! Yeah, Dr. I know. Midnight, and that's, the, that's the whole fucking plot. Well done, just, mate. Just, just ask me if I fucking won or no. <laughs> <laughs> so at you, Doctor Midnight. <laughs> so there is a there is a method to my madness behind this movie as well. Like I say, all the choices that I've selected for this season have been through conversations we've had in the past. Yes, and I remember the time that you told me that you were in charge of a military complex which abducted women and caused them to be prostitutes. It's not a great part of my past that I like to look back on, Doctor. <laughs> but yes, that's true. <laughs> In all seriousness... When I was in the Special Forces in Kosovo. That's exactly where it was. Yeah. Uh, in all seriousness, the, the reason that I, I kind of chose this one is that I remember seeing it when it came out. I didn't actually have mad love for this one at all. Um, but when we were talking specifically about movies like The Woman, we've talked about... Um, you know, you know, movies like Irreversible and things like that, the kind of uncomfortable position that you appear to go into when you see violence, and especially things like rape yeah, against, put against women, women. Yeah. it kind of gets under your skin. And whilst I don't necessarily think this movie does it the greatest way, there's a whole hell of a lot of it. Um, yeah. So I thought, we'll see what will happen. Will this work in terms of, will it be sensory overload for the baz and like really, really affect you? Or will it be the exact opposite? Will the, the sheer fact, the blunt force trauma of it um, kind of make you desensitised to it overall? So that was my thought behind it, Baz. But... So just make Baz watch this and let's see if he throws up. That's, yeah, that, but in, in all honesty, Baz, that's pretty much what I live for. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I get up for in the morning. Um, but like I say, people like... I keep saying this. I keep having to reiterate this point. People don't care what I say about this movie. This <laughs> is called Baz v Halloween. Halloween has brought you the seasoning house. Baz, let us know what you made of the movie. I certainly shall, Duncan. Um, yeah, as you say, the seasoning house is first up today. Um, never heard of this film mm-hmm. at all. No name didn't even ring a bell kind of thing. Um, obviously, the film that's coming on later in this episode, I had heard of before. You yeah. know, I had seen it, you know, but this one was just... And it's such a weird fucking name, and I, I didn't like the name. Mm-hmm. It's it's so bland. <laughs> you know, there's a really hideous fucking double meaning behind it. Do you know what I mean? Sure enough, there is. Um, 
I picked this bad boy up on Blu-ray um, and arrived the other day and it, obviously we heard Dr. Midnight ruin the fucking story for everyone a minute or two ago there but on the back of my Blu-ray it says here uh, so obviously when the Blu-ray arrived I thought I'll need to check this thing out what's this fucking film about because it could have been about literally anything could have been about a chef's house it could have been yeah you know like well-made steaks <laughs> kind of assumed it wasn't um, could have been the secret to the colonel's recipe for fried chicken before it, it came could out have been, could have been some weird cannibal thing mm-hmm. do you know what I mean it's like the hut in Green Inferno that they didn't show you yeah where they've got all their spices yep you know what I mean yep it's not that either <laughs> uh, the, the, back, the back of the Blu-ray says the seasoning house is a soulless place where young girls are bought and sold for men's pleasure fucking brilliant great it's about wee lassies getting raped fucking brilliant how long is it yeah hour and a half hour and a half of wee lassies getting raped fucking brilliant am I a bad person do you think I'm a bad friend no, no, no. Oh, I, I think I think you've got your problems to deal with right enough. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, so sits down to watch it, um, and fairly quickly into the film, it reveals that it's set in the Balkans in 1996. Mm-hmm. Okay. The only other film I've seen from the same cinematic region would be the wonderful A Serbian film that we covered in our first year. Yeah, film of the year, that one. I'm like that. Oh, God. So I I will admit straight from the off, I was not happy or comfortable with this film. I did not, I wasn't looking forward to this at all, basically. Um, The film itself opens with a girl sobbing. Not a great start, you know what I mean? Um... And then a girl, a girl. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's the one that's been sobbing, but a, a wee girl crawls out an air vent in a wall, which was quite creepy. Yeah, it was a, a bit ring esque, you mm-hmm. know that way. There wasn't anything supernatural about it. She's just a very slight kind of small lassie, and the air vent in the wall was quite big. But the way she crawls out, it like head first, and it's her shoulders through, and that was a wee bit unsettling. But bizarrely, that kind of settled me down a bit mm-hmm. because it almost put a slightly different slant on the film. Right, I see what you mean. You no, know I mean, you know what, but tragically that was not to pan out at all. That's <laughs> just a wee lassie's getting raped. Um, the wee girl that's crawled at the vent, she then kind of walks through this... Dishevelled <laughs> is probably not strong enough word for this house. Mm-hmm. Um, run down is kind of understating it. <laughs> Stinking shithole is probably starting to get there. It is a... It's horrendous. It's not really. A, it's a building, you know. I mean, it's not. It's not a house. It's not a home. There's nobody lives here happily, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's kind of wandering through the hallway. She looks very subdued. Doesn't say anything. She doesn't really look at an awful lot. It's kind of head down. Has to do this thing. There are men everywhere in the house. Like there's just guys standing, talking in the hallway. They're all smoking. They're not the cleanest looking of gentlemen. Um, so I've, I've ruled out, you know, high-class gentlemen's club straight away. <laughs> it is not that kind of establishment, you know what I mean? It's not a body-drinking club by any fucking means. Um, a girl, another girl appears being kind of manhandled by one of these guys, and she's very clearly drugged. Mm-hmm. And not in a cool, off-her-tits-at-a-rave kind of way. Yeah. Um... 
And then basically, this first wee girl, wee girl that crawled out the, the, the air vent, she's then told by this other guy basically to go and prepare. There's new arrivals coming. She's to go and prepare them. Right? And we'll find out what that means fairly shortly. We then get this thing about the Balkans, 1996. And then the film flashes back. It did take a wee while to realise that some of this film is in flashback because everybody looks the same. Mm-hmm. Do you know, I mean, obviously it's set during the height of the troubles out in the, the Balkans. And as I said, actually, when we did that manky Serbian film, I have actually visited that part of the world when I was young. Mm-hmm. Um, I went on holiday to what was the former Yugoslavia with my parents when I was a teenager. And that was just a few years before the war broke out there. So I'm kind of familiar with that part of the world. Um, and, and they're very retrograde pseudo-communist fashions that they mm-hmm. knock about, you know, <laughs> and that is written at this film. Um, so, yeah, so the next scene is, is in flashback, and it, it's this little, fo- we'll call her Vent Girl just now, right? Vent Girl. <laughs> it's her arriving at this place. There's five others, and they're all kind of taken into the house. They're not having a great fucking day, you know, they're all sobbing fairly heavily. Uh, they're not greeted with an aperitif, you know, or anything like that. There's no welcome pack. Uh, they're basically held out of this fucking room. And, and who I have referred to here is the main bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't have it in me, right? Baddie. So I'm calling him the main bad guy at the moment. Um, it looks like something out of Blake 7 fucking episode, it's got to be said. It does a wee bit, yeah. And then... Um, his name is fucking Murdoch the Murderess or something like that. It, it's not. We do find out his name fairly shortly. It's not Murdoch the Murderess, but that would have been cool. Um, sorry, I've I managed to track down my crabbies again, Duncan. I'm fucking happy as a pig in shit. The yeah, this will get this will give away the time period in which this particular episode was recorded because yeah. you posted loud and proud, and I'll be honest, that was a lovely pair you posted, Baz. A lovely pair. That was a lovely pair. Uh, yeah, I was, I was taking my daughter home and I basically made her sit in the car while I went into a Morrison's in Edinburgh <laughs> to try and get in. Nailed it. Did, did you run in there just screaming at the women, Crabbies! Crabbies! You still Crabbies in. <laughs> anyway, right, by the by, the by, that was just to explain what the slurping noise was there. Um, yeah, so they're basically taking in the meet Mordock the murderess and he basically tells them now that they work for him. Yep. Right? And... Uh, they're basically, it doesn't sound like a great job. He doesn't put it across as, got a wee job for these girls. It's not like that at all, right? But the, the pay is good, though, surely. Well, I, I, don't, I don't think so, Duncan. He does say he has to be kind to his friends, or they have to be kind to his friends, and they will learn how to be kind to his friends. Right. So there's training, uh, on-the-job training, then? There's on-the-job on training, indeed. Right. Um, I... I think kind was a poor choice of words, to be honest. It, it could almost be accused of being misleading. Oh, right. Um, and he states very forcefully that they have never to ask any of his friends for help. Um, they probably wouldn't, in fairness. He then, and th- this was quite jarring, actually, this bit, um, he cuts one of their throats as a demonstration. He calls this first girl forward, you know, and are you scared? Yeah, of course I'm scared, you know what I mean? I'm basically here um i don't know you know to be scared about it. and he takes this knife and he cuts her throat and the cutting of the throat was quite fucking graphic it's got to be said it's really well done practical yeah. effect actually really yeah. well done um and she basically bleeds out in front of them 
Um, and props off to the actress lassie that was doing it. You know, she really fucking goes for it. Um, the they're then taking out the room, but the the, the wee girl vent girl as we're calling her at the moment. Um, she it turns out has a kind of large kind of port wine stain birthmark on her face mm-hmm. down one side of her face, and this gets her kind of singled out. I'm not ruining this for anybody when I say these girls have been brought here to work as unpaid prostitutes. Mm-hmm. And because of this defect, if you like, on the girl's face, she is almost kind of excused from these fucking duties. Um, we come back to uh, present. These new girls are brought in. They get the shit kicked out of them and they're tied to a bed. And then, who we're now calling Birthmark Girl, we will get to her real name, but at the moment we've now moved on to Vent Girl. She's now Birthmark Girl. Her job to prepare them is essentially to go around and uh, fill them full of the old heroin mm-hmm. and then very clumsily put some makeup on them. So obviously this heroin is, you know, they're tied up, they can't do anything about it. She basically cooks up heroin in a spoon and injects it into them. Um, and I suppose um, this must, is for two effects. One, they barely know what's happening to them and two, get them hooked on the fucking drugs and they can't really leave because they need you for their drugs. That's right, yeah. I think that's Mordock's secret fucking plan behind all of this. Um, yeah, so, so she basically then goes round uh, all of the girls doing this to them. Um, on her way out, actually, one of the, the, the punter kind of guys, one of the creeps that's hanging about, tries to grab Birthmark Girl, but a bouncer pulls him off um, and basically packs him off in with another girl kind of thing. So it's very clear that nobody's actually allowed to touch me, Birthmark Girl. Mm-hmm. Um so while her job maybe isn't the best job in the world, it is fucking light years better than all of the other jobs in this building, that has got to be said. Um, and then she goes back to her room. And I had noticed at this point that it, there's minimal dialogue in the film as a whole. Mm-hmm. Now, thanks to the fucking clumsy Dr. Midnight earlier on there, we are aware that <laughs> Birthmark Girl is actually deaf and mute. Mm-hmm. Um, that hadn't been carved in stone at this point, though. Um but even aside from her, there is not much dialogue from anybody. You know, there's like bark orders and there's kind of music playing over the top of it and that. So it's a very visual kind of film. I actually thought it was really well done. I was about to say, I think that as a stylistic choice is scarily accurate to how a place like that probably would operate. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, you, I don't imagine you sit and have many fucking decent conversations in places like this. Oh, no, if this movie had I mean. Tarantino-esque dialogue... Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, does exactly. this punter look like a bitch? You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think I could watch that. No, exactly, exactly. And um, it also it doesn't build up any characterization behind any of these girls and stuff like that that you're seeing. So it kind of dehumanizes them as well. Yeah, objects. You know yeah, I mean? which is, is, is the kind of point, obviously. Yeah, as very well done. Um, you know the sort of techniques that they've utilized here. But then of another flashback. It's a kind of war zone area. We see Birthmark Girl with her mum. We then find out that she's deaf and mute because her mum signs to her. Um, her mum tries to hide her in the cupboard, but she gets found, dragged out into the street. There's soldiers everywhere. Lo and behold, Big Sean Pertwee rocks up. Yep, Big Sean. Him like a cunt, it has to be said. Which bums me because I love Sean Pertwee. But it just goes, it goes to show how great an actor he is, that he's an actor you love, but in this particular movie, he makes you hate him. Yeah, yeah, I will come on to talk about that, because I do like Sean Pertwee. For those that haven't tried to, he is, he's 
probably most famous at the moment for playing Alfred in the Gotham TV series. Mm-hmm. He plays Batman's butler, although Batman's only about 12 in it. He always um, seems to play, in movies, he always seems to play some sort of military personnel. I'm trying to think. He, he does, in, yeah. Well, he was in Dog Soldiers. Dog Soldiers. Is he, is he not in 28 Days Later as well, or have I made that up? I think I maybe made that up. I don't know if you did. He might be. He might be. For some reason, I just picture Um, him in that movie. He's in. He tends to play those roles in movies, so it's always some sort of military officer, and he must. I think it's because he just has the look of a British kind of. He does look a bit like a squaddy kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think the glaring exception was probably that uh, surfing movie that you love, Blue Ruin. (laughs) Then that obviously. Um, oh, anyway. trees in Blue Ruin. <laughs> ah, the surfing movie when he's banging teeth from Catherine I'm going to fall out with you forever. <laughs> I make this joke literally on a fortnightly basis and you fall for it every fucking time. I hate you, but <laughs> I know you do. No, he was in, he was in, he was in Doomsday. Now that I've got it started, which was, that's obviously Neil Marshall. Oh, the, I, the, yeah, the guy Marshall, yeah. Yeah, who directed Dog Soldiers. Yes, uh, so that's right. That's, uh-huh. That's when I'm go- I'm still checking back to see if he was. I'm going to find it. I will. I will find it. Uh, Dog soldiers. He was not in Twenty Eight Days Later. So there you go. Oh, well, well, I think it's been that doomsday you've been thinking about. Then. I think that's exactly what I'm thinking about. Fair play. I film which is on the horror channel at the moment for any of our UK viewers. Yeah, I clogged on that. When I bought movie. it a while ago, remember I bought all those Marshall movies after you watched the Descent. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, great, anyway, it's, right, a great, it's a great fucking movie. People never check out that movie. They always jump to the obvious horror ones and they need to check yeah. it out Wednesday. It's fucking great. Yeah, very good. Particularly if you're, you're Mad Maxy type things. It's very Mad Max. Nah, but there's mere Scottish cunts in it. So it's good. <laughs> it's good. Less Australians. <laughs> Mad Max, but with a baz. Mad baz. That's what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> it's Madder Max because he's Scottish. He's fucking raging. It's just his face on crabbies. <laughs> <laughs> Um, aye, so Sean Pertby turns up <laughs> and, and, and interestingly we're talking about Scotland because th- this war-torn wee village um, in Bosnia or wherever they are in the Balkans mm-hmm. is the spitting image of Linwood <laughs> it's going to be said to, to the point that actually just before we started recording I jumped onto IM, uh, it was actually Wikipedia I'm on. did you go to see where it was filmed? yeah, yeah, but it turns out it was filmed in a, an abandoned air force base in, just outside London that's right um, which is disappointing because it really does look like Linwood. It looks exactly like where my sister lives. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, um, yeah, so Sean Bertby turns up and basically orders her mum to get shot. So her mum gets shot in front of her and realises hysterical and gets dragged off along with some other girls. And this obviously leads to her ending up at this place, which, for want of a better title, we shall call the Seasoning House. Mm-hmm. Um... Back to present, next day she's sent around basically to clean up the girls. Um, like I say, it's not the most palatial pad, and they, they have to piss and shit in a bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know, I've got to say, even if I was a rapist slash very dodgy brothel patron, um, big bucket of shit in the corner might put me out my stride. You know what I mean? <laughs> Come on now, guys. I know I'm literally paying about four pence for this, but there's a big bucket of steaming shit in the corner. <laughs> smells quite off-putting, you know what I mean? Bad enough she's off her tits on heroin. Clearly hasn't washed in about a fortnight. 
and has been bludgeoned with the guy that was in before me, uh, I really have to draw the line to the bucket full of pish. We just want to stress that Baz is playing into a character in the movie. Baz does not yes. frequent war-torn whorehouses. I, I, am, uh, I, I don't at all, at all. Um, I, I'm merely demonstrating what some of the Tarantino-esque dialogue may have been like. <laughs> Had the director chosen to follow that path. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so, so basically, so she's sent round to clean these girls up because obviously they're not in the best fucking state. The, the 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 patrons of this particular establishment are not the most respectful customers. It has to be said. She actually finds one girl who is dead. Um, it look you see, there's kind of close ups of her eyes or blood vessels are gone. It looks like she's been strangled. Um. Nobody gives any kind of fuck apart from wee birthmark girl. Um, and basically the body gets dragged out by the bouncer and it's like he's pulling a bag of rubbish out of the room. Yeah. And it's very unsettling. It's not pleasant to watch any of this at all. Um, more guests arrive. Um, this guests probably isn't a good fucking thing. Basically more girls arrive. Yeah. She has to go out and get them ready. And then she finds out that one of them... Um, or sorry, one of them rather realises the girl's deaf and signs to her. That'll become important later on. Um, we see a flashback to kind of the end of the last flashback and Murdoch, the murderess, turns out his real name's Victor. Right? I know that's probably a huge fucking disappointment <laughs> after my name for him. Um, fuck it, we're going to call him Murdoch. Right? <laughs> and Murdoch, basically, he doesn't know... Um, birthmark girl's name uh-huh. and there's no means really of communicating with because she's deaf and mute so he christens her angel she wears a little angel necklace thing and he calls her angel and he, he basically he kind of takes her under his wing to an extent as I explained earlier because of this birthmark on her face and he shows her how to prep and, and administer heroin and stuff like that you see him showing her how to do this um, wee girl's not very happy about it but I think she probably thinks it's better than the other fucking option yeah. she, she's not wrong um, she then she talks to the girl that can sign and we find out that girl's dad was deaf this is how she knows how to sign um, we have a bit of a flashback to Angel's dad leaving that has fuck all to do with fuck all to be quite honest so mm-hmm. we're going to skate right past that um, I think I, I suspect there's a bit of a storyline there might have been lost in the editing yeah I think so um, well. and we then see her using the air vents and the crawl spaces in between the walls to move about between the walls and the rooms. Basically, she's in her room and she can go and see the sign girl, the girl that can sign, by crawling through these vents and up through the kind of interior cavities of the building kind of thing. We got this hinted at early on in the film, but now you actually see her doing this kind of thing. Um, it's a very creepy kind of setting when you see her inside the walls and that. It's, again, very effective. Um... And we also find out that she can feel vibrations in the floor when somebody's coming. This is how she knows when like, the bad guys are coming because she can feel the vibrations in the floor mm-hmm. of stomping through the thing. Not a lot of carpeting in this building. Um, you know, the flooring is of a fairly poor standard. Um, so she picks up all these. Hey, so she, you see her, so she starts going backwards and forwards to see Sign Girl. She really bonds very heavily with her because it's somebody she can actually talk to. Mm-hmm she gives her bits of chocolate and stuff like that and then we see she's like kind of not giving sign girl the heroin thinking she's helping her 
the then sign girl basically begs her for the heroin because she just says, well, it, it helps. You know, basically, I can't cope with what's happening. That at least takes the edge off it kind of thing. But then we see um, there's quite a harrowing scene where sign girl is basically raped and beaten. Um, and it's not very pleasant at all. It's not very pleasant at all, it's got to be said. Um, it's quite graphic. Um, not really in a gratuitous way, it has to be said, but it's for impact. It's done for impact, and it has that impact on it. Hmm. The one thing I'll say right now about the season in house, obviously it's a fucking hugely distasteful um, premise for a film and kind of setting and background to it. I think they pitch it really well. They don't hide the horror of what's happening in it. In fact, you see a lot of it. I personally didn't think it was gratuitous. I've seen other films in a similar vein where it's, you know, we'll just freak everybody out by basically gang raping this lassie for four days. Do you know what I mean? They don't do that. And and I, I thought that it was picked for such a subject matter. I thought they pitched it really well, I've got to say. I thought they hit just the right level kind of thing to give you the impact without going over the top and kind of reveling in it, for want of a better term. Um, sign girl is raped and beaten this reminds um, Angel uh, of her mother being beaten another flashback to her dad beating her mother kind of thing um, Mordok comes in and basically explains to her that the guy that did it, he basically pays extra to be allowed to do that so he's allowed to do it kind of thing um, yeah and they call, he calls in a doctor to have her checked out because the sign girl's not in a great way after this. The, the doctor, um, he can, he, in my head, and this isn't fucking who it is, it, is the guy's at Jim Broadbent, the British actor. Yes. He's in some of the Harry Potter movies, mm-hmm. he's in filth. For some reason, that's who I picture in my head. He doesn't look anything like that. He's, but not- he's like an older, <laughs> vaguely distinguished looking, you know, he's obviously been a successful doctor prior to this conflict. He's now fallen in hard times and is basically the doctor for this fucking slave slash whorehouse kind of thing. Yeah. Um, he tells the girl not to worry that she's just got a bit of tearing and all that downstairs, which I'd imagine make that last statement has made most of the women listening to this wince yeah. fairly heavily. And who who could blame you gals? Um, he then, however, tells Mordok that basically her pelvis has been broken, which ain't cool at all. Um, yeah, but I like. I think I've got some fucking moves in the bedroom, don't do you know what I mean? But I've never <laughs> no one's fucking pelvis before. Oh God, pass. <laughs> anyway, um, but then the, the kind of relationship between Big Mad Mordock and Angel is kind of expanded a bit at this point. He basically tells Angel to go to the room, and he then turns up, and it appears that they have a kind of relationship, a sexual relationship. But he he also he claims at points to love her. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think it's love in the same way that most of us would know love, but he definitely has an affection and a protectiveness towards her. He still treats her like shit and basically makes her do all these fucking terrible things to these other girls. But in his mind, you know, he loves her because he doesn't allow her to be raped and abused by all these other men. He protects her kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And in an effort... She obviously goes along with it. She doesn't have much fucking choice. Um, but she doesn't act as if nothing's wrong. You know, she's obviously not very happy about but all of this. And kind of in a way, 
to prove that he actually loves her. He gives her a key that will basically open all the doors. Mm-hmm. Which you would think is really key to this film. I mean, it does appear later on, but it's, it's not as pivotal as you think at this point. Um, and he basically says, you know, you, you can leave if you want, but I know you won't leave because you love me too, kind of thing, basically. Obviously, she doesn't have to respond because she can't speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the next morning, you do see her waking up in his bed. So they have obviously spent the night together and he has slept with her kind of thing, so um, I'm not saying it's consensual, but it, they do have a sexual relationship. I don't think she's that fucking mad keen on it, but he clearly has a rare old time. Mm-hmm. Um, then, yeah, sorry, she goes to see Sing Girl at this point, and she's, not in a, she's in a very bad way now, obviously broken pelvis, she's been beaten to shit and raped and all this kind of stuff. And uh, Victor tells her to dope her, but she can only pretend to. Then, lo and behold, Big Sean Pertwee turns up again. <laughs> it's called Goran in this, which always makes me think of Goran Ivanisevic. Oh, yeah, the tennis player. Tennis player, yeah. But more particularly, it makes me think of the song by uh, We Are The Physics, the uh-huh. Scottish electro-indie pop band. Goran Ivanisevic, Goran Ivanisevic. <laughs> Check it out online, folks. It's the tits. Anyway, Big Sean Pertwee turns up with his crew, with his posse. They're not quite as street as I'm making them out to be. They're essentially rapist paramilitaries. Um, one's his wee brother, there's various other ones, and there's this hulking monster that looks like something out of the fucking the wrestling that you watch. What's the one you watch? <laughs> UFC, Buzz. That thing, aye. Oh, this bald maniac that looks like he does that for shits and giggles at the weekend. He's a tank. He is. He's a big-ass motherfucker. Anyway, Pertwee and Mordock, the murderers, they go for a bit of blether. <laughs> the others go to use the facilities, as it were. Um, Pertwee and Mordock clearly know each other. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if it's in my notes. I may come across this in my notes shortly, but basically I think that Mordock was in... Like, during that Balkans conflict, a lot of it wasn't regulated armies, if you like. It was militias and paramilitary units that were carrying out a lot of these atrocities and different things that were happening. And I think Mordok has clearly been involved in the same kind of paramilitary outfit that yeah. people, they all have matching tattoos and stuff, mm-hmm. which again I think was quite prevalent out there at the time. Um, The the big mental psycho wrestling one, he basically uh, goes into Sing Girl's room and barricades the door so you know things aren't going very well for her and her one and her one functioning pelvis. Um, basically, Pert retells Mad Mordock that basically their names are becoming notorious, so word is starting to get round. Basically, I think what's happening is Pert Wee is basically going through villages massacring people and taking all the young girls away giving him a Mordock for fodder for his fucking whorehouse thing. But I think, obviously, word is starting to get out that this is happening and that their names are starting to get mentioned in relation to it, which obviously, when you're in that line of work, you probably don't really want that happening. Mm-hmm. This whole conversation is interspersed with some horrendous fucking scenes of Sign Girl basically being raped to death. Yeah. Um... And it's really quite hard when I've written that in my notes at this point. These scenes are not cool at all. Um, 
So Angel goes and gets something from her room, which I think turns out to be like a, a kind of knife or a shank or something, a kind of homemade weapon, if you like. And she basically goes through the walls and looks into Sign Girl's room through the vent. And the big guy is raping the living daylights out of her kind of thing. He's choking her as well. Um, it's really, really bestial kind of looking. It's like animal-like. Mm-hmm. And again, really quite fucking graphic. Anyway, uh, we Angel comes out, does a wee ring thing at the air vent and basically goes and stabs him all to fuck. Um, but he's like one of these mental guys with no nerve endings in his body or something like that. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So she stabs the crap out of him. He's still able to get up and kind of fight. There is a fucking horrendous bit where she stabs him in the mouth. And again, special effects are amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Um, like, because it's... <laughs> See, stabbing the mouth, that's literally, she stabs him in the mouth and it's poking out his cheek and fighting and pulling in it. Really fucking well done, I've got to say. Um, he's not dead, though, and he attacks her again, basically. And uh, Peter, you know, as we crew, they've heard all the, the ruckus and they burst out of the room just as she escapes, basically, into one of the air vents. Um, Peter, we kind of realises who it is and he sends his men after her. Uh, he's none too happy because the big mental fucking wrestler is dead as fuck at this point. Um, and I think that was like his best guy kind of thing, you know, so he's fucking raging and basically shoots another random girl as a punishment to Victor. Um, they figure out the angels in the walls. They see her kind of disappearing into an air vent or shooting shit out of the walls, but nobody hits her. Um... She gets caught by the big kind of bouncer guy that works there, but she stabs him with a heroin syringe that she secreted into her pocket earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, there's basically a kind of extended kind of chase scene for a while in this house. She's basically in and out of events, running away, trying to get away from them and all this kind of stuff. There's a bit where they send the kind of smallest guy into the walls after her. Uh, and that bit's quite good because you're inside the walls and she's climbing. She doesn't, she knows that somebody's in there, but she has no idea how close he is to her and you can kind of see how close he is. And you're kind of going like that, oh my God, hurry up, hen. You know, because she's got no idea he's right behind her kind of thing. Anyway, she manages to take him out by scudding him in the face with a brick. And, and then she's got a knife. <laughs> and that was supposed to be Bruce Willis and Die Hard. That did not sound anything like oh, Bruce Oh, God, I thought you were trying to do Paul Hogan and Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> I think I muddled up the two of them, Duncan. I think I got the two of them very badly Creepy confused. hybrid Bruce Willis yep, and yep. Paul Hogan. Now I've got a gun. <laughs> um... <laughs> I'm moving on to this because that's we better we better apologise to to our friends over in Australia, in particular the witch. So sorry, Bazzi's yeah, Bazzi's Aussie accent is ridiculous. You probably got like a a giggle out of that though, but I'm apologising for it. That is fucking horrible, Baz. When we all know that the the Aussies speak like this, Sharon, rock and roll. Isn't that how? No. It, no? Is oh that how it, my god! How long have you been fucking mulling that one over, McLeish? Oh, since they started following the podcast. Right. No, you. You honestly, you need to text me these things before you say them because that was fucking horrendous. Although I will say, I did insult the content of Australia earlier on in this review as well. So, yeah. which my man? He's a fellow trans metropolitan fan. So I like which. 
So I'm sorry for insulting your race <laughs> and your country and everything. Sorry, mate. Anyway, sorry, Cobber. Um, oh, no. oh God! Right, stop this! It's just you're just making it worse, Buzz. Oh, Buzz! <laughs> Where are we? Right? You're getting sent to the seasoning house, Buzz. I'm going to put you to work. I'm going to get sent to the colonies. <laughs> that know what they still do? It's Botany Bay. Send pack me off there. Right, anyway, I'm going to say something terribly racist in a minute, so I'm going to move on. Right, basically, right, so she's taking out the wee guy with a brick. They're pissed off now, so they head out to their motor and they get the big fucking shooters out. No fucking about smoke bombs in the walls. Uh, Victor shoots one of the soldiers. Sorry, Victor is Mordok. Mordok shoots one of the soldiers and says it was Angel. Angela manages to get outside. There's a bit of a chase through the woods. She trips over something, basically lands in a big pile of fucking bodies. And it's the basically all the girls that have died in the house. They just get dumped in a fucking ditch in the, the woods. Um, which obviously is a kind of um, passing comment, if you like, on a lot of these mass graves yeah. that you know buried and dug during the, the Balkans conflict. Um Mordok manages to catch up to her in the woods, talks the knife out of her hand kind of thing, and then gives her a bit of a slap. And then Pertwee and his wee brother turn up, so there's a bit of a kind of Mexican standoff. Mm-hmm. Or Yugoslavian standoff, for one <laughs> of term, I suppose. And uh, they basically all come to a, a bit of a deal. Angel's no having it. She stabs Mordok in the leg. He accidentally shoots Pertwee's brother. Pertwee shoots Mordok. So it's like it's like something out of a fucking tragic western. Yeah. At this point. We angel takes their fucking heels um and basically ends up kind of reaching the house and kind of passing out of the door. Um the woman who owns who's kind of fixes it up a bit. Weirdly, everything in her house is to do with pigs. Mm-hmm. This is full ornamental pigs, they're all wearing pigs on their jumpers, pig slippers. It's, a bit odd. Um, but it turns out that the lovable pig-loving lady is the husband of the massive wrestling rapist that killed Sign Girl because mm-hmm. she talks on the photograph with him. Uh, Pertwee phones her and uh, they try to capture Angel. Bit of a fight. Angel takes her out with a ceramic pig. Slightly surreal, has to be said, but it works. Um... Basically, Pertwee then chases Angel in his car for a bit. She runs into a factory. The guys in the factory kind of chicken out a protecting her. Obviously, like, help me. Well, she's not, she can't speak. But she clearly looks like a young girl and needed some help. Pertwee turns up, they all shit themselves. Um, she manages to escape into a kind of ventilation system within this factory. Uh, obviously utilising her wall cavity climbing skills big pair we goes in after her though stupid fact can't get stuck yeah that was a bad and move then, then, yeah it's not wise at all man you know what I mean burn the fucking place down you've got no problem with burning things down just burn it down she'll die anyway that's why I'd have done if it was a psychotic Balkan rapist paramilitary mass murderer Um he then is the brass neck to start screaming at her for help. Mm-hmm. Um, but she basically tells me to get to fuck and she paints his eyes with blood. 
as if she's doing the makeup on the girls kind of thing. Yeah. And she escapes. And she's found by an old woman that takes her in kind of thing, but then right at the very end, she turns out to be the wife of the doctor that we saw earlier on, and he does this mysterious look over his shoulder just as he takes her into the house. Where it goes from there, nobody knows. Um, it's kind of a bit shite that basically Sean Perry just ends up stuck in a vent for the rest of his life. Well, you know what, I mean? what I quite like about that as well is that she, she puts the rag in his mouth so he can't scream for help. Yeah, but you've got to figure out it's an operating fucking factory. Somebody at some point is going to need the use of that vent and it will not work. They will then try and unblock it and find Big Sean Pertwee. Ah, but you don't know when they're going to use it next. Well, I would take a stab in the dark. It might be over the next day or two. I, I think I think the, the, the more realistic scenario is that he's in there for a couple of days, his body loses a bit of weight and he falls out. Again, that's true. I never even thought of that, Duncan. Yeah, see, Baz, you've you're, you've clearly not been stuck in enough vents. Weird. What? You're, honestly, your mind is weird that you come up with things like that. Honestly, what? My, my mind is practical and logical. <laughs> no, it's not at all. Not at all. Anyway, right, basically, that is the end of the seasoning house. Yeah, I don't know. For some reason, I picked up a small hammer <laughs> to be in my kitchen, and I thought that would add effect when I tapped the table there to say that's the seasoning house finished. It failed quite badly as an effect, um, and I'm probably not going to use that again. Um, so that was the seasoning house. Um, first off, the seasoning house is a good film. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Um, it, fr- it quite frankly is a far superior statement on the Balkans conflict and its aftermath than a Serbian film was. Yes, it is. Um, It touches on similar themes, not to the extent that a Serbian film does. The Serbian film, let's be honest, had cock all to fucking do with the problems in the Balkans. No. He tried to make the man-cased film in the world ever. Succeeded in some people's eyes. And then when he was ridiculed for it, basically said, it's a studio fucking political statement on the, the Balkans conflict in the country I live in. Is it fuck? Seasoning House is. And it does it quite well. And it's very, you know, it's harrowing, it's gut-wrenching, it's deeply unpleasant at points. Um, but it actually does fucking tie it back to it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I think it's far better at doing that than a Serbian film. Um, if Serbian film had been doing this kind of route, it would have been infinitely better. Um, I think it's weird. I don't know if I thought I was going to be profoundly affected by it. It's mm-hmm. a basically a house full of fucking unfortunate women who are held there against their women and basically raped till they die. Um, and it doesn't shy away from that. You know, it's not left up entirely to your imagination you see quite graphic scenes of what's going on here. Um, there are the, the, the sort of moments of kindness, if you like, are few and far between, and they are always tempered by something fucking terrible happening immediately after it. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but I wasn't as affected by it as I feared I might be at the start. That internal freaked me out quite a bit because if I'm starting to not be bothered with films like this, that bothers me a little bit, I've got to say. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like that. I wonder. 
this can't be healthy. The things like this. I'm not saying I wasn't affected by it at all. It's not a pleasant film. Um, but I think because it's well made and well acted, that allows me to, or it kind of stops me dwelling on the kind of bleakness and, and you know just the, the the horrible aspects of the film. Because as a well made film, it's very well shot. Like I said earlier on, the techniques they use, particularly early on in the film, you know, with lack of dialogue and stuff like that, are all very very effective. All of the actors, there are a lot of background actors in this film. Yes. There's maybe only five or six main characters, for want of a better term, but there's quite a large background cast, some of whom have bigger parts than others, but all do very, very well. Um, the bouncer fella, you know, the big kind of, looks like giant haystacks at the old wrestling in Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really good. He hardly says a word through it, but he has that indifference to what's happening you know well he's doing his job he's basically dragging dead girls out he's forcing other girls into rooms you know what i mean don't give a fuck he's got a fag in his mouth you know what i mean tipping a wee wink to his pals <laughs> completely unaffected by the horror that's going on around him and that he is perpetrating mm-hmm. and the guy does it really really well do you know what i mean I, I thought i say he's a great character i thought the guy played that character very very well it's yeah. a horrible character but he, he nails it and he hardly speaks in the film so yeah there's definitely a lot in this film it, it, it's a film to watch. if you've not seen The Seasoning House go out and watch it I, I thought it was really good um, I'm just slightly unnerved that I wasn't as traumatised as I might have been yeah I think like, when I watched it back um, just last night actually um, I found that I had remembered it being a bit more jarring. A bit more visceral. Yeah, than it actually was. And that's not to, to belittle the movie, because if you have a, a particularly low tolerance for for things like, um, like abuse uh, on women or, you know, rape or things like that, which, to be honest with you, normal people should have an intolerance for that. Yeah. Um, you know, th- th- there are things in here that would make this movie kind of uncomfortable to watch um, I think it, I think you've hit the nail kind of rightly on the head I think Paul Hyatt's direction kind of elevates the subject matter though, it's handled yeah. in a, a very professional filmic way which is not put out for exploitative purposes like what's his face with the Serbian film, which is purely an exploitation movie, that's all yeah. it's there for is to, yeah. to exploit subject matter um, for shocks this one, you know, isn't. It has a shocking thing in there, but it's handled by a, a guy who has a long-standing history in the film industry. And I, I don't mean you were like talking about Neil Marshall and stuff, but he was. He's been involved, funnily enough, Baz, with all the special effects and makeup for for a lot of Neil Marshall's movies, etc. Which probably explains the director of this film has. Yes, which probably. Oh, that's explains, interesting. Explains why the the special effects were so realistic. Yeah, they were great. They yeah. really were. So yeah. that's the background he's coming from. Um, so that that makes a lot of sense. He has since uh, he, he's directed one other movie since, um, which is a great movie called Howl, um, which is kind of like Dog Soldiers but set on a, a a train. Um, right. And it's it's a really good British horror movie. I, I had quite a lot of fun with it. Um, so I think he kind of elevates it 
I don't necessarily think you watching this and not having the the feeling that you did with watching something like Irreversible is necessarily mm-hmm. a bad thing. My greatest hope for you watching this movie would was that by the end of it, maybe some of it stuck. It kind of sounds like you're telling me it didn't really, though. No, no. The, the, the kind of harrowing scenes in it really didn't. Um, to be quite honest, I would watch The Seasoning House again quite happily. Um, things like a Serbian film, I'll never watch that fucking film again. It's duck shit. Do you yeah, know what I mean? It's not a good um, movie. Seasoning House is. Seasoning House is a really good film. Um, the, <clears throat> the chase element, I thought they got the, the sort of length of that quite right because you are inside the one building or she escapes into the woods just towards the end. But most of it, you know, you can't chase somebody around the inside of the walls of a house for 90 fucking minutes, you know. So they, they, they tailed that into kind of the last maybe half hour out of the film and then, you know, she escapes out and stuff like that. The stuff before it was really, you know, the picture they painted in the place thought was excellent and a lot of that is due to the acting Pertwee as well got to mention him he was great and as I love Sean Pertwee I really really he's like the guy actor. he's a, really he's good a great actor. actor and he always plays characters that I like and his character and this is a cunt <laughs> and he does it really well I fucking hated him from the right for the minute he came on screen you just hate him you know what I mean well I tell you for like the first 30 seconds you're not sure and then he basically makes some of you guys shoot or more yeah, and you're like oh no and he plays it so well. There's a bit where he grabs Mordock, he's going fucking mental, and he's like, he's going to take his eye out with a knife. Mm-hmm. Really frightening to watch, kind of, you know, the, the pure aggression in him. He's a great actor, Sean Pertwee. And testament to him, I loathed him in this film. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's doing his portrayal, I thought it was excellent. Like I say, hallmark of a good actor is, Indeed. Uh, is, Indeed. is the ability to make you love him in certain roles and loathe him in others. Um, and he is. Right, so I think this is fairly academic from what I'm from what I'm picking up, but I need to ask you, that's the whole purpose of these uh, reviews, but Baz and the Immortal Pantheon on the stage of battle, the gladiators taking the arena to the roar of the, cl- uh, the crowds. On one side there is Halloween, on the other side there is the gladiator, the Baz. Who won this round? Was it Baz or Halloween? Uh, I can confidently say, Duncan, this round was won by the big swinging dick of the Baz. Oh, taking its first blood on this show, taking a, a, an early lead as well. That yep. puts us now at That's three to three two. two. Yep. I um, I wasn't confident getting into it. I, I was pleased with how it played out for me mm. towards the end. But I was. I see why you picked it, and you weren't wrong to pick it. And I know the, the thinking behind it, um, you explained earlier on, I know exactly why you picked this film. Um, I, I, like I say, I'm almost slightly concerned that it didn't have that effect on me. Yeah, I think, um, I, I think that kind of goes part and parcel with just the, the movies that you're now watching. I, I think you've seen it done... You've, you've seen movies do things similar to this in ways which are a bit more schlocky but because of the schlockiness of it they've had a, a you know kind of a more uncomfortable effect on you um, yeah. and I think when watching this movie the, the way it's shot the, the cinematography especially and the special effects you know things like that remind you that you are only watching a movie which kind of nullifies nullifies that effect so yeah 
but yeah. in, in the best possible way. I'm glad you. I'm glad you liked it because you bought it, so I hate it. Yeah, totally it. good movie, and I'll, I'll definitely watch this again at some point. Yeah, yeah, it's that type of film. Um, yeah, really decent, really decent. Enjoyed it. Fantastic, right? So that's the first movie down for this episode. We have one more movie to go before we close out this third episode. Let's see if Halloween can come back and make it all square as we finish off this third episode of five in season three of Baz v Halloween. Up next is our found footage main feature of the show and we're tackling um, probably, I would I would maybe argue, out with the Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity. This is one of the more commercial entries into the found footage genre. We are going to be looking at The Last Exorcism. Um, no, The Last Exorcist, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the last exorcism. No, it, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's the last exorcism. Is it another last exorcist? No, it's the last exorcism. Oh fuck, I don't even know. Let me try that again. We are going to be looking at the last exorcism. Ooh, Baz, let's see how you cope with this one. It's a wee bit religious horror, and we know how it gives you the skeeves. Uh, It does indeed. We're going to take a short break just now. You listeners out there are going to hear promos for shows that I love. You are also going to hear the trailer for the movie. When myself and Baz return, we're going to be discussing that movie right after this. You're listening to the podcast under the stairs. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. They tried to kill us. You ungodly warlock. <laughs> but we just won't stay dead. The Midnight Horror Show, the internet's goriest and raunchiest horror podcast since 2008. Now live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at tmhsradio.com. Listen on your mobile device with the TuneIn app, search TMHS Radio, or download us at iTunes, Podomatic, or the TMHS Radio page. Exorcism is alive and well. The Bible is filled with demons. If you believe in God, you have to believe in the devil. We're looking for the Sweetser farm. You want to make a U-turn, and then I want you to go back where you came from. Jeez, go, go! Seems like the end of the road. Mr. Sweetser? How you doing? Cotton Marcus. My wife died two years ago. It's quite a shock for now. Were you very close? She was my best friend. Somehow, the devil kind of entered. Now, can you hear me? Yeah. Good. Nothing to be nervous about. What is it? It's coming through my skin. Please help. Get it out of me. Let him come now.
Let's get out of here. If you can't save my daughter's soul, I will. Go, go! You should be compelled to leave this girl. If I besiege our Lord, you may be killed in the wilds of the desert. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command me to be gone! Welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for our second and final movie review of this episode. This is our found footage feature. This is The Last Exorcism from 2010. Now this one, I remember the advertising campaign for it. Um, there was a name attached to the project that was being battered around uh, pretty much every poster, kind of prominently, more prominently than the director, actually. And that is um, Mr. Eli Roth, who was an executive... Honestly, his fucking name gets attached to everything. Yeah. My, uh, my sister-in-law got married a couple of weeks ago, and I'm pretty sure his name's been attached to the wedding video. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Fuck off, Eli Roth. <laughs> Still no talking to you after Green Inferno. Oh, no wonder. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah but his name was just like all over the fucking poster and all over the advertising campaign and I kind of feel a wee bit sorry for you know the actual director because the director did not really get the didn't really get the recognition that he probably deserved and the director is Daniel Stamm who's went on to do some fairly interesting things um, he, what's he done? Well, after this movie, he did a remake of uh, a kind of Korean horror movie, um, kind of revenge movie called 13 Sins, which I highly recommend. I actually thought the remake was pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> and he's he's worked on the Scream TV series, and he did some show called Intruders, but I know nothing about that at all. Um, but I started watching the Scream TV series recently with the kids. I think we're about three episodes in. I'm quite enjoying that. It's quite good. Oh, I think he directed one of the episodes in the second season. So ah, right, right, okay. When you get there, um, you'll be able to check it out. I'm I'm almost finished season one, but it's trying to get the wife in a position where she'll actually sit and watch the end. Ha ha ha! Try to get the wife in a position. Right there with you, brother. Aye, <laughs> aye. <Hi, hi. laughs> right, so this movie was directed by Daniel Stamm. It stars Patrick Fabian, Ashley Bell, Iris Barr, um, Lo- Lois Hertham, uh, Caleb La- Landry Jones, that's a horrible name, uh, Tony Bentley, uh, John Wright Jr., other folks. Uh, synopsis for this one. Nice. It's like you've got a weird name dyslexia. Even the fucking Western names you can't get right. (laughs) Caleb Landry Jones is not a Western name. It's a double-barreled name. Caleb. Caleb is not a Western name. Caleb's a biblical name. Exactly. So it came from it came from the east, not from the west. Do you remember uh, a program in the? Uh I want to say mid-90s called American Gothic. Yes. I know there's an American Gothic come out now, but there was one about 20 years back. Yes, I do. About a kind of demonic sheriff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the wee boy in that was called Caleb. That's right. Is that the, literally the only Caleb you could think of? It's one of them. <laughs> 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 right, my, this... my, the other one's my cousin Caleb. 
There we go. There we there is no cousin Caleb. I knew there wasn't. I, was ah, just, no. I didn't want to shame you on the show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, the synopsis for this one, short and sweet on IMDb, just says, A troubled evangelical minister agrees to let his last exorcism be filmed by a documentary crew. Now, Baz, I said to you on the last episode, weirdly, when we were recording that, on my On This Day, you posted thing on Facebook, it popped up that six years ago I saw this movie. Um, and, oh, yeah. <laughs> and my review was frustrating to say the least, uh, I, I, I did tell you that I booed this movie and we'll get into it at the end exactly where the boo came um, and exactly what I said in the cinema and I kind of hate myself for saying it in the cinema as loud as I did because I hate people that talk in the cinema, um, let alone boo. So I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a bad bastard. But um, this is the third found footage feature uh, we are covering and it's a slightly it's a slightly different change of pace that first one was very much a kind of commercial horror one in the, the fourth kind um, the curse was uh, one that very few people have seen and now we're kind of coming back into kind of mainstream found footage horror with the yep. laxed exorcism it had a huge cinematic run um, I believe it did really good business as well it made a lot of money for a lot of people and yeah it's, it's time to for you to face this one, because I'm trying to think out with, I think I'm right in saying this, out with Wreck, this is the only found footage movie you've touched with a religious element, is that right? No, we did The Exorcism of Emily Rose. That's not found footage though. Fair play, what about... Uh, I'm thinking there's been another one. Deborah Logan, The Taking of Deborah Logan. Kinda had a religious element, but wasn't... Yeah. There was in the background, you're right, there was a kind of... This one's overtly religious. Yes, uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And you could argue that wreck, the religious element, only comes in. Yeah, so this is really the the only overtly religious one you've done then. So... Yeah, oh, no, what was the... the I don't know if we did it in this show or did we do it for Rock News. There was Borderlands. We did do it for this show many moons ago, actually, and that yeah, one was... Yeah, yeah that's, that's... See, there we go. See, that's why you're here, Baz, to keep me right... Oh, you're in fucking trouble, mate. If you're, if you're relying on me, keep your eye. You are fucked, sir. Right, so this one uh, with Borderlands is really... And this one wears its influence right on its sleeve. This is an exorcism. Ah, movie. yeah, that, that, this one, you know, there's no fucking two ways about what this film is. So I, I'm, I'm really curious because, like I say, I... This movie didn't have the effect that I really thought after the trailer and after the first, like half of this movie I was like on cloud nine um, let's find out how you got on Baz I'm, I'm genuinely super curious to see <laughs> what you made of The Last Exorcism the floor is yours sir tell us yeah so as you say Duncan The Last Exorcism sir um, quite interesting to hear you saying it had a kind of lengthy if you like cinema uh, release because it has been doing the rounds on the, the, the various TV services over here, mm-hmm. like on heavy rotation recently. Um, I checked it out. If you're in the UK, you can check it out on um, Amazon Prime mm-hmm. Streaming at the moment. I'm 100% positive it was on either Sky Movies or Netflix prior to that. I think maybe Sky Movies. Um, because it just seemed to be that any time I was looking through a kind of catalogue of horror films... The Last Exorcism was sitting there kind of thing, so um, it has been pimped to fuck in the UK, I've got to say. 
Yeah, I'm just checking the IMDb here, and it says that its estimated budget was close to two million. Its opening weekend was twenty million, and its gross in the USA alone was close to yeah, it's pretty much fifty million. It made um, so it was like, you could see that as being quote unquote a success. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely, with or without Eli Roth. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> preferably without. Yeah. So anyway, I settled down to watch this one last night, um, and unlike yeah, so, so unlike uh, Noroi, the curse, um, this one was done in the pitch black on my own, packed the wife off upstairs, uh, got the lights off, and settled down to watch this fucker. And I was a bit nervous about it because it is. It's been pointed out in the past that perhaps religious horror was my a weak point of mine. Um, but in thinking about it, I think over the couple of years we've been doing this, I have coped not too bad with some of them. It's, um, a, it's a card that I haven't played much because yeah. I I don't think there's many good ones. Like no, to, to be honest with you, I think a lot of them are quite cheesy and full of hokum. Yeah. Uh, with it, a lot I, of them just try and be the Exorcist, and yeah. that's a thankless game. You know, you've got the Exorcist. See, don't try and I, replicate it. I I think the reason I thought I was terrified of religious horror films is because of the small amount of um, horror films I'd seen before coming on to the show. Mm-hmm. The Exorcist was one and I remember seeing I don't even think I saw the first Omen but I saw the second and third Omen films. Oh right. When I was relatively young, I mean I saw The Exorcist kind of in my early 20s and was terrified. Um, but I'm sure I saw the Omen or two, Omen 2 and Omen 3, around about my early to mid-teens, I think. So, uh, and Stigmata was another one that I quite liked. Stigmata's not the most terrifying thing, but it has that kind of religious element to it. Yeah, it's a um, great movie, that. Yeah, I really like Stigmata. Um, but yeah... So and obviously, was... End of Days, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh yeah, and I think I may have seen that as well, actually. <laughs> um, but I, I think possibly it was because... The amount of films I've seen were so small that it's quite a high percentage of them, if you like, were religious based, and I think maybe that kind of skewed my feelings towards religious horror. Yeah. Anyway, all that pish aside, um, the last exorcism, eh? So, uh, it, it, it's fairly, uh, it, it's a fairly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Authentic found footage in that, you know, it, it's somebody getting filmed kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? There, there's no twists on it like there was. It's not a faux documentary or anything like that. It really mm-hmm. is kind of, kind of genuine found footage. Um, opens up with a bit of scene setting. So we get introduced to this preacher. Um, I can't remember the second name. It's, his first name is Cotton. Um, and all I can fucking think about is the, the dodgeball commentator and dodgeball. <laughs> You're, you're right, uh, Cotton. Yeah. Let's see where this goes, Cotton. Um, <laughs> so he is a basically like a Methodist-type preacher uh, in pretty much the deep south, well, Louisiana. So mm-hmm. he's down below the Mason-Dixon line. Ooh. And uh, he is the, the son of a preacher, and I think the grandson of a preacher, and all this is, is in the family. We find a little bit about him, you know, he... he first took to the pulpit at 10 years old and all this kind of stuff and he was clearly a man that was born into this uh, you know very very strict 
religious Christian upbringing um, and all the family were preachers and it, it was expected that the man you know the male children would become preachers much like the preacher comic books oh and for my comic peeps <laughs> um yeah it, it, but he is a, he's a bit of a showman with it um you know he's down there in amongst his congregation can i get an amen or this kind of stuff uses magic tricks but you know fairly cheesy like card tricks to emphasize his point and stuff like that you know and people just fucking laugh it up lap it up and there's quite a good bit where he's getting interviewed outside and he's like that he says i, mean, I can literally say he's like I, mean, I can go in now do a sermon about banana bread <laughs> you know and i can't remember i think maybe they put a bet on it like ten dollars or something like that yeah. and he basically goes in and then, you know do you love Jesus? Do you listen? Can I get an amen? You know, if you take bananas and you put them in a bowl and you, you get banana bread, can I get an amen? <laughs> it's hilarious because they're all lapping it up. Do you know what I mean? Um, and it's set in Baton Rouge. Uh, and my uncle Curtis came from Baton Rouge, so I quite like that. Mm-hmm. Tallest man I ever met. Oh. Big, big French Louisiana, and he was fucking nuts. In fact, here's, here's a great fucking story for you. Here's a wee tangent because I'm on a roll. Um, my uncle Curtis wasn't my blood uncle. He was married to my mum's best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, she grew up in Dunoon. She met Curtis when he came to Dunoon with the US Navy. Um, Curtis Poitier was his name. Um, big French Louisiana man. And uh, after he got shipped back to America, on to his next post, man, uh, Doreen moved with him, obviously, and uh, she would only come. They would come back kind of, on holiday, like, maybe every ten years or something like that. They would come back to the noon, and the 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 one that kind of bites by me, I think I was about thirteen, maybe, and they were back. They hadn't been back for quite a long time, and my mum and dad threw a kind of dinner party up at the house. My dad's a chef, so he'd made a big fancy dinner for everybody, and that. And we're all sat around, and my, my old grandpa was there. <laughs> And uh, my grandpa, he, he quite liked to be drink, my grandpa, but he didn't drink a lot. Um, so, as a result of that, I didn't take an awful lot to get my grandpa kind of tipsy because he didn't drink regularly enough to kind of have a tolerance for it kind of thing, but he did quite enjoy a wee whiskey, you know. And uh, they were all sitting about after the meal kind of thing, and uh, my dad's had a few, and Uncle Curtis has had a few, and like I say, he was a huge fucking man. And... Uh, my dad had poured out drink. Now, I was obviously too young. I wasn't drinking alcohol, so my dad had poured them all drinks. And uh, I think it was my dad, kind of went like, Slange, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, Uncle Curtis thought this was fucking great. Oh, Slange! And he's standing up and just thinking, this is fucking great. And my grandpa's kind of sitting there. And the next thing I see, my grandpa go up. My grandpa goes, Keegan Tolly! <laughs> and, and my Uncle Curtis, this fucking near enough seven-foot US naval officer, stands up and goes like, Keegan Tolly! and sits down. Now, for our non-Scott <laughs> listeners, Keith and Tolly is actually Keith and Tolly. Both are words for a shit. <laughs> Keith is a shit. A Tolly is a shit. My grandfather has essentially said shit and shit. And this huge man <laughs> fucking jumped up and toasted it. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, that was my st- so, uh, that was my uncle Curtis, and uh, he lived in Louisiana. Uh, he was a lovely big man. He died a couple of years ago, and he's very sadly missed. Uh, 
So um, my mother nearly fucking died. My mother, the church elder. You know what I mean? You can see her the colour draining out her face. Man, Doreen's just sitting there kidding on she doesn't understand. Ah, you know, Doreen. You know what he said. Oh, that's amazing. Right, bye. Back to the movie. Um, yeah, so th- this sets the scene. Um, for the character of Cotton, who's the main preacher of this, he does look vaguely familiar to me. Actually, has he been in other things? Yeah, I mean, this is this is one of the one of the the, the many gripes that I have um, about this movie. <laughs> in general, is this is a guy that's been in things before. You will probably know him from Better Call Saul. He's the he's the partner of Saul's brother, Howard. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen the first season, so yeah, that's probably it. He's been it. He's been in shitloads. It's yeah. mostly TV it stuff. That thing, it just seemed vaguely familiar. I was like, you've definitely seen you in some. Yeah, it's, it's mostly mostly TV stuff, and it's a lot of TV. Like if you watched the newsroom, he had a stint in the newsroom. He's been in loads of things. Newsroom, man, that was a great fucking yeah. TV season. He's been, he's been in a lot of stuff, and like I say, it's one of those things. That, I mean. He's not a big movie actor, but he's got a face that you recognise, and when you recognise that face, it's one of the things that reminds you that this is just a movie. So yeah, yeah, fair play. Um, yeah, so that's the scene. He also um, Cotton has a wife and a kind of six or seven year old son who is uh, deaf. He wears hearing aids, and as a result, he's got a slight kind of speech impediment as a result of his deafness. Mm-hmm. Um, and his old dad's there. His dad's still a preacher. His dad is clearly very proud of his son. Um, because he's this wonderful preacher kind of thing and everything looks peachy right at the start here. Um, we then go and his dad shows us this book that is in the family. It's a very rare book, basically, on demons. Mm-hmm. And he then goes on to reveal that basically they've had exorcists in the family for generations. So not only is Cotton a kind of circuit preacher, um, he is also an exorcist, um, as they've all been through the generations, kind of thing. And the, the father claims to have done about 150 exorcisms. Um, and then he Cotton gives this big spiel about, uh, you know, you, you, you know, if you're a religious man, you must believe in demons. You know, if you believe in God, then you believe in Satan, and Satan was a fallen angel, and he took about a third of the host of angels to hell with them and they became the demons, you know, so if you believe in God you must believe in demons, blah 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 and then about two minutes later he basically believe, uh, rather admits that he doesn't believe in them mm-hmm. um, and somebody suggests that he's a bit of a fraud and he refutes that um, and he basically says that, you know what he does is provide a service while he doesn't ever believe that people are genuinely possessed by demons, he believes that they believe it, and that by doing this performance, if you like, he makes them think that he has exercised this demon and it will make them better. So he he does genuinely believe that he provides a valuable service to people who believe for one reason or another that they or somebody in their family has been possessed kind of thing. Um, he mentions having a kind of crisis of faith when his son was born. His son was born prematurely, um, which I think is what's caused the, the deafness and so on. Yeah. Um, and I, him and his wife talk about it. And I think it was pretty much touch and go. You know, the wee boy wasn't going to live. And when they were told that he was going to live, he said, "You know, I just ran and thanked these doctors 
and then I realised I hadn't thanked God. I wasn't thanking God for saving my son. I was thanking these doctors for the job that they did, kind of thing. And this led to him having this crisis of faith. Um, and basically, he now wants to expose exorcism as this huge fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing that, he's then going to allow this camera crew, who we've not really met yet, but who are obviously filming the whole thing, to accompany him uh, on this sort of one last exorcism. Um, and to do so, he basically opens one at random. He, you know, people contact him via the internet and over the phone, but he gets some letters sometimes as well. And he basically just grabs one of the letters by random and opens it, and that's where they're, they're going to go. Um, on the drive down, we get a little bit of... Uh, he, he, he kind of describes the sort of religious culture and the history of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of which was quite... I'm, I'm assuming what he was saying was true, and a lot of it was quite interesting. He's saying Louisiana had existed under six different flags. I, I think, I'm assuming yeah. assuming you know, the British, the French, the American, the Confederate, you know, there, there must be other ones, you know, but... And he says, you know, people in Louisiana have a a very strange take on religion, if you like, because there's voodoo, there's devout Roman Catholicism, you know, there's this, there's that, there's the next thing, and it just all comes together in this crazy fucking kind of melting pot of religion, Um, which kind of sets the scene. Um, He does come across on this drive as quite kind of cocky and arrogant and almost derisory of certain, well, kind of all faiths and religions. And that, you're like going, you know, you make your fucking living out of this, mate. That is pish. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so he's, he's a very, uh, you know, the character of Cotton is a real fast-talking guy. You can imagine being in a bar and having a drink and having a great time with this guy. Yeah. Um, but he's probably a bit of a cunt. He's a, he's know, a bit of a huckster. Below that. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Um, and it's more the sort of sneering acceptance of that that I struggle with do you know what I mean fair enough you're a bit of a fucking con artist, but you don't need to kind of mock them over it and there's almost a level of that kind of thing so I'm just finishing the last of this fucking disgusting version of my whiskey Mac he <laughs> um, kind of interviews some people on the way you know they stop off for gas and shit um, and there's talks of uh, cults at one point, you know, there's, oh yeah, there's a cult around here and this yep. one's got a story about it and that one's got a story about it and blah, blah, blah. And they all kind of get shot on by the last one. But I thought, ah, I bet that fucking comes into it later on. Ah, I, I love the bit because he's, he's getting them all. He's like, I, I bet you, everyone down here, you know, knows some story about a demon or whatever. And right enough, they all start talking. And it's like you say, the smarmy arrogance of him getting told about this cult and he's like that. Where's the UFO landing site? And yeah, the that's the woman starts telling him and he just kind of looks yeah, well, over, over there. The, yeah, yeah, looks over smugly at the camera as if to say, uh, you know, yeah. these, these people just talk shit. Don't be a dick, Cotton. <laughs> it's, I, I think uh, there's something kind of refreshing. Oh, just busting a wee tinny open there, big man. <laughs> there's something kind of refreshing about it, though, that I, I, quite, I quite like. Um, and you, you will see it, you see it later on in the movie of... Even when 
things are at their worst, he thinks he can. He thinks he's gifted enough to talk his way out of it constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that well, I love I think, that. Sorry. I love. I was going to say I love that idea of that character, and I don't think it's one that he's a he's a whole unique character in yeah. in kind of in film footage, but in, in like kind of horror cinema as well. There's not many characters that do. You know, that play into this role as good... Like, I genuinely think, looking at this guy, this guy is a preacher. Yeah. You know what I mean? He yeah. really, really... He, he commits to the role 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't disagree. I, I think sometimes things like that, they strike a little bit of a chord with me. I, th- I think it's because my parents are so religious, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And um, while I have a very differing view on faith in that now than certainly than my parents do, and really than I did, you know, up until relatively recent times kind of thing um but i also i just, sometimes i just think religious people are just such a fucking easy target yeah i kind of don't like them being picked on you know like, fuck off just because you don't believe it right it helps them so fuck it you know what i mean mm-hmm. so I, I think so i think possibly that was why i kind of was repelled a little bit by that aspect of his character if you like kind of thing um yeah so the interviews them and we get this talk about cults which will come back and bite us in the stones later on um <laughs> so there's they're now so they're heading for this farming is the schmitzer or the schmitzer farm or something schmitzer, like that. i think it is um it stops a local kid the local kid coming along in a truck he stops him to get directions um and the kids oh yeah 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 you go back up there and onto the motorway and fuck off back where <laughs> you came like, oh jesus <laughs> So he just drives off, and then there's these two bangs, which I will admit gave me a bit of a fright. It's the wee dick throwing like stones at the car, but mm-hmm. um, that kind of I, I just got a wee bit of a jump scare there. I wasn't expecting it. Um, they get to the farm. The farmer comes out. Um, uh, basically, they're there to see his daughter. It's his daughter that has been possessed, kind of thing. Um, then, and then the local, the kid that had told him to fuck off, turns up, and it turns out he's actually the son. He's this Caleb that we were talking about earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and his dad's like, what the fuck's wrong with you? He's like, I've got fucking cameras. And the guy's like, why, why have you got cameras? He's not very happy about that. They go away, they talk. He relaxes about the cameras kind of thing. Um, he then shows him a kind of mutilated cow and he says, yeah, it was my daughter Nell that did it, you know. And Cotton obviously hadn't read the, um, the letter enough. And he had seen the name Lewis, which is the, the farmer's name, the father's name, and thought that's who he was possessed. He didn't read the letter enough, exactly as is my daughter Nell that's possessed. And he's not very happy about it because he doesn't like working with kids. Yeah. There was a mention made earlier on about a, a young boy getting basically suffocated during an exorcism. Mm-hmm. There was a kind of amateur exorcism and they, they suffocated the boy accidentally during it and he died yeah um, a plastic which, bag over his head yeah which was another kind of factor i think in, in his crisis of faith kind of thing he kept seeing he was a nightmares about doing it to his own son and stuff like that um the farmer shows him a blood soaked scup you know and like this is what she came in and she doesn't remember it blah 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 um we then meet nell um she's a very nice young girl but very kind of deeply religious you know that really overly sweet way everything's please and thank you and you know thank you so much and all this kind of stuff uh, but like I say she's very religious there are uh, you know there's drawings on the wall every drawing is of a religious figure she even admits to like making up biblical stories in her head and drawing them and stuff like that and 
so she's very heavily into her faith um, she has no recollection of killing the animals but she does believe that she did it mm-hmm. um, we find out that her mum had died two years ago of cancer um, the father became very overprotective of the girl after that she's homeschooled um, he claims that she can't wear her crucifix that her mother had given her because it burns her skin or some bollocks like that mm-hmm. um, shortly after this Cotton's outside the son Caleb kind of warns him off and basically says his dad's a drunk uh, Cotton goes in he starts to sort of run um, a series of tests basically and he puts the girl's feet in a basin of water and the, the water starts to bubble um, and he says you know I think she's possessed by a demon called Abalam and he shows him out the wee book thing that he's got uh, later on Caleb says now nah, you're a fucking fraud mate you threw something in that water I saw you but he's almost kind of you know I've got to respect that you know yeah. what I mean I know you're totally out of here but I'm okay with that kind of thing Um which again seems kind of flippant now but when you get to the end of the film kind of comes back in yeah um so yeah basically he'd, he'd faked this bubbling water and said yeah he's definitely fucking possessed um and he then goes out of the bedroom and we see cotton rigging the room basically um it's a big four poster rickety bed he's shaking he's like i'll shake well and all this and you see him like winding a or wiring like a very fine like fishing line up to a, a picture frame on the wall so he can pull it and the picture frame will move and all that and he basically sets up all these kind of rudimentary special effects in this room then he goes in he brings the family into the room he puts the girl down in the bed and all that kind of thing um and he conducts this exorcism and kind of as it goes through everything that you see happening you then get a kind of flashback to him outside showing you uh, the particular how the trick's done. Yeah. Um, there's a the the we hear this kind of demonic voice at one point, but he's got like a little MP3 player that he says I've got like 700 demon voices on here, and he's playing them all for you. And there's a thing like he puts these rings on, but he's got a battery inside his jacket with a wire running down into the rings. So when he touches the girl's head, she starts jerking about like she's fucking having convulsions. Mm-hmm. But it's because he's given her a wee kind of mild electric shock and stuff like that. So we see that it's very put on. Um, the kind of culmination is he... It's almost like watching wrestling. Like, he, if you like, is the good guy wrestler and he goes through this and then, I can't do it. I, uh, it's not working. I'm not going to be able to do it. You know, and he's down on his knees crying and you're thinking, come on, good guy, get up, give it one more shot, you know, and then he... He spins around and he holds up his wee cross and he's praying like a motherfucker and it's like the demon comes into him and he's lying on the ground and then there's smoke coming off his wee crucifix <laughs> and he shows you it's like a wee uh, like a vape thing yeah. you know, like a cigarette vape thing he's got one of them inside it and it basically atomises this mist <laughs> it's quite funny I did think all that was quite cool I've got to say I quite enjoyed the scenes there yeah Um because you could just see how fucking you know in years gone by people did do stuff like that do you know what I mean it's uh, it's almost old school carnival type stuff you know um, so yeah I quite enjoyed that scene I've got to say and it was very well done ah. <laughs> um, <laughs> praise Jesus 
Praise Jesus, praise the Lord. <laughs> um, then he gets his cash. Dad's fucking delighted. Um, Do you love the fact that he counts the cash in front of the guy, and uh, when the dad says, um, you know, it's all there, and then he makes eye contact with him and says, I don't need to count that, I trust you. Yeah, but he's I, just counted it in front of him. Just counted it, mate. Ah. It's, just, um, <laughs> it's small things like that I love about this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, he, like before he leaves, he, he starts he starts kind of talking to the fucking ceiling, basically, and apparently gets a message from God to tell the dad he needs to stop drinking, basically. He stopped drinking so and look after style. his family better. Yeah, yeah. And in fairness, that adds a kind of sympathetic slant to the character of Cotton so while he is a bit of a con man you know the boys revealed that he, his dad's not able to help them because he's drinking all the time he didn't need to do it mm-hmm. do you know what I mean but he chose to do it because um, he believes that the dad's you know very religious and if he thinks God's told him to stop drinking then he will kind of thing you know so that does add a nice kind of there's a sympathetic element to his character there uh, so then Cotton and the film crew and that they fuck off to a motel uh, later that night, we see like the camera crew running up to his room, uh, and basically Nell's in the room. Um, she's just appeared there. She's kind of non-responsive. The camera woman kind of tries to get her down onto the bed, you know, to lie down, and she, she's almost kind of Nell's almost kind of sexually aggressive towards her, mm-hmm. which is kind of fucking weird because she's very virginal, you know, her, her character kind of thing, and um, you know she dresses. You know, I think she's supposed to be like 16 and she dresses like you would dress a fucking eight-year-old if you were taking them to church on a Sunday kind of thing, you know. So um, that this kind of sexual element to her character is quite odd. It doesn't go with her character kind of thing. Um, she also starts vomiting. Um, so they take her to the hospital. The dad turns up. Um, and they all take her home. So the dad thinks Cotton's failed with uh, the exorcism. Yeah, Cotton uh, wants her to see a psychiatrist. Yes, aye, because he he doesn't believe in possessions, but he does believe that the girl has got a, a serious kind of mental health issues that are, you know, manifesting physically, if you like, and he wants her to go to a psychiatrist. Um, so he's kind of talking his way out of um, the failed exorcism, if you like, and saying, you know, I, I've done all I can here, you know, she needs to go and see this, blah, blah, blah. Try to get her to go and see a shrink. Um, he goes to see a local preacher um, who doesn't appear to want to do much because uh, I think the, the father had taken the girl out of Sunday school because it wasn't religious enough, apparently. Yeah. Um, on the way back from seeing the preacher, though, they see the dad out in the kind of grounds outside the house dragging Nell through the garden and Caleb's been slashed in his face basically by her mm-hmm. uh, or the dad says you know it was Nell um, boy's bleeding pretty fucking badly you know Caleb's saying uh, or Cotton rather saying you know right well I'll take him to the hospital but the boy writes a note and passes it to her saying don't leave her with him meaning mm-hmm. the dad so Cotton comes up with this some fucking reason why it's better for him to stay with the girl and the dad to take Caleb to the hospital Um when Cotton goes upstairs to see Nell, she's chained to the bed now, which they're not very happy about, so they free her. Um, 
and then later on they hear a baby crying upstairs now there is no baby in the house so that's weird they go upstairs and this bit was quite creepy because they go upstairs it's, it's like one of these huge kind of farmhouse type numbers um, they go up the stairs they turn a corner and she's basically standing at the end of the corner like just totally motionless and it's you know the the white cotton nighty, the long hair over the face kind of thing she's wearing these Doc Martin boots that one of the camera girls had given her kind of thing you know uh, it, it was quite a creepy image um, bear in mind the time of night I was watching it and stuff like that that did <laughs> for me a little bit um, yeah they then she kind of runs off uh, and they find her in the bathroom trying to drown a doll which is kind of weird um, the camera down they get back out of bed then there's a phone message left that they overhear and it basically it's from a doctor at the hospital saying listen that those tablets we gave her don't let her take because the girl that or the person that prescribed them didn't know she was pregnant mm -hmm. so turns out she's pregnant the camera girl immediately leaps to the assumption that the dad's been jagging her and you know it's incest and it's the dad's baby kind of thing Um they agree at this point to turn the camera off can't remember quite what the fucking decision was but they, they managed to they decide that they're going to turn it off yeah they, they decide that they're going to go for a rest like basically try and have an hour um sleep right. and then kind of come back and reevaluate things so they turn the yeah. camera off yeah um and when the camera comes back on it's nell that's got it so she's got up again going and taking this camera so she's acting as the camera woman at this point if you like she goes outside to a, a, the barn and uh, she kills a cat that earlier on we'd seen that the, the religious drawings in her room had changed and there was one of a dead cat mm -hmm. and she basically was she bludgeons this cat to death with the camera that freaked me out and I think it, I can't remember if my wife had come down to say she was going to her bed or something something had distracted me it just it was a combination of a couple of things just right at that point mm -hmm. and I didn't I wasn't expecting the bang when she hit the cat the first time and it, I was quite freaked out not necessarily so much by the scene but the scene coupled with whatever was going on in the room I was in at the time so that annoyed me a bit actually <laughs> out by it um, in addition to the picture of the dead cat there is pictures of the film crew all dead and a picture of what appears to be a preacher walking into a fire holding a crucifix. Mm -hmm. uh, the dad comes back to the hospital and they tell him that she's pregnant. He goes fucking mental. She can't possibly be pregnant or she's been raped or something like that. You know, because my daughter wouldn't do that. You know, that type of person. He asks them to do another exorcism, uh, they, which they refuse to do and he kicks them out. Um so they're kind of trying to get their shit together to leave they see him, he's out in the garden praying um, and then they hear a kind of commotion and they go upstairs and she's up on top of the wardrobe mm -hmm. so it's that bit you obviously it's kind of first person view if you like, you're seeing through the camera they go out of the room, they're panning about and you just know something's going to happen and it's kind of anticlimactic because she's basically sitting up on top of the wardrobe all kind of curled up staring at them yeah they don't go for the obvious kind of jump yeah yeah up in the corner of the room like a spider which is fucking weird because that's what's on the cover of the fucking dvd and like the, the film posters and that mm -hmm. it's basically her up in the corner of a fucking room you know like that classic kind of exorcism type thing 
that she scuttled up there backwards, you know. Um, yeah, right, so she's up on top of the wardrobe, but she, then she sort of jumps down at them, so you get a bit of jump scare there, and she runs off. There's a bit of a kind of cat and mouse thing goes on for a few minutes as everybody's running about trying to chase her kind of thing. They manage to catch her. Uh, the dad is, starts, he opens fire, you know, as Americans are wont to do sometimes under situations of stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, they start shooting the shit out of things um, and basically only calms down when they agree to do another exorcism. They attempt to do that in the barn um, and there are some quite off-putting contortion scenes. Mm -hmm. No special effects either. She did this all herself. Did she? Yeah, she's got What it reminded me hugely of was the exorcism of Emily Rose. Yep, and that also took place in a barn. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I'm not sure which one came first. Um, The exorcism of Emily Rose came first. Right, well, they, they... this is heavily influenced by that kind of thing, do you know what I mean? I've got to say, I thought this, the stuff that I call her Debs, the actress named Emily Rose Debs out of Dexter. Yeah, yeah, Jennifer Gardner. Um, yeah, I, I I really thought her portrayal in that was top-notch. It, mm-hmm. it was really something special. And when you told me that it was all her doing that fucking blew my mind. I think possibly this one suffered a little bit because of that. But the bit where her neck, she does a bit where basically her neck snaps. Yeah. That was fucking good, I've got to say. That was well done. Yeah, she suffers from some rare uh, genetic thing. Apparently only 15% of the population have it, which makes them incredibly double-jointed, like all across her body. That just does. Yes. Yeah, so there's these contortion scenes. It's a a kind of a watered-down version of what we saw in Emily Rose. Um, And then... She comes away towards the end of it with this, you know, do you want a blowing job? Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, the demons corrupting her, making her sexually aggressive. And then suddenly the, the, the fucking cotton's like, that. see, you're not really possessed because you don't even know what a blow job is. You know, a demon would know what that is because she calls it a blowing job. It all seems really staged. Mm-hmm. And it, it's made to look like the demons left at this point, And I'm going like, who actually said this? I, I I started to lose my interest in this film round about this point, I've got to say. Right. I was, it, it was like, right, you know, we know it's not Cotton that's making this up now from what's happened previously in the film, but the solution to this supposed exorcism was far too simple. I, I don't know. I just didn't like these scenes. I, do, I didn't think that they worked. Mm-hmm. Um she then kind of recounts a tale of having sex with a boy called Logan um, and says he's the baby's father so this is where this pregnancy has come from but she's kind of speaking in like the second person or something like that I think she says you know she had sex with this boy Logan you know and she's talking about herself mm-hmm. but she uses like the female pronoun or something like that um, I was quite tired by this point so my notes are somewhat hap- haphazard Um but basically she's saying, you know, sex with this boy, that's where the babies come from. So they call in the local preacher guy who was seen earlier on, he basically takes over. Um, and they all get ready to leave, so they head off. And as they're driving down, they have to pass the diner that the Logan boy works in. They're like, let's just go in, tell this boy what's happening, kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Give my heads up. So they go in, and Logan comes out, and he's like, ah, 
No, it's not my baby. I promise you, kind of thing. You know, I met her once at a party thrown by the local preacher guy. Um, you know, and we spoke like for five minutes, and she seemed a bit nuts and a bit clingy and that, and you know, and and eventually the boy says, "It's definitely not mine." To be honest, I like, and he can't quite say it because it's fucking Louisiana, and you'll probably get lynched by the clan. But basically, he's gay. <laughs> and, you know, he likes boys. And it, but then when he says, "You're like, oh, you totally, you totally are gay, me." I, like, I see that now. Mm-hmm. Um, so they come out obviously, and then they're a bit kind of right. Well what the fuck's that about because it's clearly not that boy's baby so they go back in the fucking house and they get there and the place is deserted and when they break in there's satanic graffiti everywhere Mm -hmm. so then they head off into the woods and basically they're in the woods there is a satanic ritual being conducted by the local pastor Um, everybody's there so it's basically obviously this cult thing that people were mentioning at the start of the film. Mm-hmm. The dad's kind of tied up. Nails like on a stone fucking plinth thing. Um, and she's basically giving birth. And the, the local preacher's there with his, you know, fucking Satan robes on. Um, and she basically gives birth to this kind of demon baby that is then thrown into the fire and the fire kind of rears up and I think it's supposed to be like a fiery demon yeah but they didn't use any kind of CGI for it so it's just like somebody standing at the back squirting kerosene at the fire so it flares <laughs> up in the air um, it wasn't brilliant <laughs> and there's, there is a couple of scenes of digital trickery with it which if you do snapshots that you can make out like the outline of a face, but it's uh, it's not great. No, no. Um anyway, Cotton then obviously he sees that there's genuine evil going on here. And he has a fucking moment of clarity and he basically takes his crucifix thing and just walks right into the middle of them all holding it up to banish the demon back to hell. Mm-hmm. Which is obviously the image that she had drawn of him walking into a fire. Mm-hmm. And that's up. Um the camera crew are like, fuck this, man. <laughs> On you go, mate. Ah, we're out. And they run off. And you get this kind of... Um, it's a bit like the last kind of scenes in Cannibal Holocaust or in uh, Willow Creek or something like that, where it's them running basically through the woods. The girl gets taken out and you're just left with the camera guy and he's running, he's running, he's running, he stops. And then you're turning around. Now, well, admit I was wound up to fuck at this point because you just know at some point he's going to turn around and there's going to be a face in the light of the camera, mm-hmm. which does happen. And I got a wee bit of a fright. And it's basically it's Caleb with his face all stitched up, and he takes the guy out with a sickle thing. Yeah, decapitates him. Yeah, and that that's the ending. Basically, it ends there. Um, the yeah. The, the ending fucked this film for me. Yes, Baz. It just, uh, it just goes all kind of fucking wicker man, almost. But actually, Do you I know don't what mind I mean? that. I, that's the thing. Like, l- 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 let, me, let me come in with some things, right? Before you, you go into your... Just very quickly, yeah. one thing. The bit that really annoyed me, and it didn't, I didn't realise it annoyed me until I started reading through my notes and we're talking about it, Right, so basically, right, the outsiders have gone, everybody. 
let's get the girl and we'll go and we'll have a wee ritual in the woods, right? Let's get her out, right? Do you want to spray paint some shit in the wall? Oh, fuck it. Huh? Right, you hang back, here's a can. Go nuts, a couple of pentagrams or something, that's always good. Who the fuck would do that? You know what I mean? You just take the girl and go and do the ritual. You wouldn't get a spray, Hail Satan, all over the fucking walls, <laughs> would you? Do you know what I mean? I, I Playing don't... your battery album backwards. Fuck <laughs> off. I, I, it's, it's to set the scene. It's, it's a purely for Piss. movie purposes. It's purely for movie purposes. Um, the movie for me is infinitely frustrating. Um, and it's frustrating because with some slight changes, this movie could be bitching. Um, but it, it kind of stumbles. The, the fact you're saying it kind of goes Wicker Man, that is not negative to me. Wicker Man's like one of my favourite horror movies of all time. It's in my top ten. I think it's a fucking incredible movie. But the beauty of the Wicker Man is that our characters have to go through... Like, on a fundamental basis, the, the our character, our Edward Ruder character, has to go through a series of trials where people are trying to send him away, but he keeps investigating. He needs to go all through these things to pass the test to become the wicker, you know, sacrificing the wicker man. Um, and this movie tries to kind of do something similar. Like, the first time we meet Caleb, Caleb basically tells him not to go. Um, so, so it's kind of wicker man-esque, maybe. Um, and the, there are yeah, elements see, that are... The, the early scenes with Caleb then make more sense, you know, like when he goes up to his dad's lad, he's got fucking cameras with him. Yeah. So obviously that's why they're freaked out. Yeah, he doesn't you know want I mean? anyone there. He uh-huh. doesn't. Yeah. He's he's basically the guy on the inside making sure the sister's okay. Um, yeah. You know, and for for this ritual that will be performed at some point. Um, and I mean, on on some level as well, it explains Caleb's kind of glibness towards the the preacher because he knows something that he does. He knows of a power greater than this actor, basically. Yeah, yeah. and and I mean, also he's going like, "All oh, right, so right, so you're not a real fucking minister either, so I don't need to worry about this." Yeah, I don't. You're I don't not going to start setting up because you're a total fraud. Yeah, you're going to be yeah. here for a day. You're going to leave, and everything's going to be great. Um, yeah. It also explains his note. His note is, you know, d- don't leave him with him because the dad, funnily enough, who we paint to be, you know, kind of the bad guy in this movie, is actually the good guy. Which, yeah, because he ends up tied up and all that. Yeah, eh? he's he's protecting his daughter. He's taking his daughter out of the church, rightly, because the church is headed up by a fucking Satanist. Mm. Um so he's kind of taking her out of there because he thought the teachings weren't religious enough and you kind of think to yourself you wonder if that's because he had an inkling that maybe something was a wee bit dodgy maybe not to the extent but maybe things weren't as holy as they should be and the fact that you know the preacher was banished from going to that property and basically Cotton walks him right in at the end you know walks, yeah, like, yeah. which is basically sets up this 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 ritual Um the, the movie, I told you there was a funny story, we went to see it in the cinema and we were sitting watching it and the camera pans over and it showed that picture of the, the you know, the, the camera woman chopped up into bits, the camera guy uh-huh. decapitated and someone, a preacher walking into like a flame thing like that yep. and I audibly in the cinema, and this is kind of an infamous story now, um, audibly in the cinema turned around to my wife and said... 
if this movie ends with people running around in the woods and him walking towards a giant fucking fire demon, I am going to be furious. <laughs> right, so this is That's half not a- the first time you've done that either, McLeish, is it? No, I was, I would like, because I've seen so many movies, you can kind of see where things are going. And I thought, you know, I was the same as you when watching this movie. Um, ever since the Blair Witch Project, I have a heightened sense for for everything that's mentioned in a found footage movie means something, right? So in the Blair Witch Project, spoilers for those that haven't seen the Blair Witch Project, um, right at the very beginning of that movie, the whole premise of the movie is set out in the conversations with the locals. You know, they talk about um, they talk about sacrifices at Coffin Rock, but they specifically talk, and it's a throwaway conversation about the old man that lived up in the house who claimed that there was, you know, a voice speaking to him that would kidnap kids in twos and make one face the wall while he killed the other. Right. And it's mentioned in the movie, right at the start, in the first five minutes of that movie. So when the ending of that movie comes up and people were genuinely scratching their heads because they didn't understand what the... Had she seen the the witch? What was going on? I was like, no, 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 no. You're like... It's all to do with this ritual, with a serial killer and all the rest. And, you know, it's a supernatural event. Is it the old guy's ghost? Is it the Blair Witch forcing someone to stand in the corner? But that explains the ending, right? And from that point onwards, every found footage movie I watch, I pay particularly close attention to any details that come out at the beginning because generally they're going to come up in the end. So as soon as one of them says, oh, yeah, there's, you know, there's a cult, cult of Satanists out there, I'm like that. Right, it's a satanic cult. Right, mm-hmm. that's you know this movie is going to end up in a yeah. See, I, I picked up on the cult bit. I thought oh, that'll come into it. Aye, guarantee, right. guarantee you this cult will turn up because it's it's fucking telegraphed. Mm-hmm. It's not like a like like a casual thing. They make emphasis on this. So when they lay out this idea of this is the picture she's painting, if if it had just been the camera had passed over those pictures without us spending time talking about what's actually in the pictures. That's more effective. But they basically talk about all three of those photos. So by the time that bit comes around at the end, you know exactly how the movie's going to end. You know, Mm -hmm. as soon as he stands up and walks towards the fire, you know the other one's going to be dismembered and he's going to get his head chopped off. You know it because you've seen it in the pictures. So there is no... you, you, You know the ending of this movie. And as a result of that, diffuses all the tension. There is no tension. It's... It is so frustrating because it's lazy writing. It's a lazy, lazy end to a movie which has been done in other movies. It's, you know, this this has been replicated in, in pretty much every single found footage movie before this. His ending yeah. is nothing new. See, see the one thing I would say on that? Um, I don't think this... Having now seen the film... And you've told me what you told me about its release and all that. I obviously received a lot of kind of backing, you know, in terms of getting out there and stuff like that. I don't think this film was aimed at horror fans like you. This was aimed at, you know, borderline horror fans. You know, or you take your fucking girlfriend to, to try and put yeah. the wind up or so you get to feel her up in the back of the car, do you know what I mean? Yep. And um, I think there are people that aren't as into horror will they won't see that coming and then when they get that oh this is that's what was in the picture mm-hmm. they get that you know that kind of jigsaw piece clicking into place sensation which can be quite nice for some people yeah i appreciate it's frustrating as fuck for you but 
I don't think they were aiming for people like you with this film, to be honest. Um, I get why you're annoyed about it. See, it doesn't annoy me as much as it annoys you, but I'm far less of a fan, if you like, than yeah. you are kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? But, I mean, you even you saw it come in, though. Yeah, I did. I did. But it didn't, it didn't frustrate me as much as right. it did with you kind of thing. I didn't get that, oh, fuck off kind of thing that you do all the yeah. time. <laughs> the, the other things that annoyed me is that the camp you've mentioned that the poster like shows an image which yes. doesn't really appear uh-huh. in the movie at all um, but the trailer was the same if memory serves there were hints of her doing stuff like that in the in the actual trailer which was never it? appeared in the movie what was the I watched another film like that what was it? Was that was a Baz V Hill? Was it one of the paranormal activity ones? I think so. Yeah, I think it and was. You're like, don't watch the trailer, by the way, because it's. I think it's the, the third one. Is. Yeah, the the third one shows like, like a Bloody Mary scene, which is done differently, and sequences of people getting flung downstairs, and and all the rest that just don't happen in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it got a bit. Of, it got a bit of um kind of got like a like a bit of a negative blowback because of that and this mm. movie essentially kicks off like a trend in movies moving forward from this one um, and it kind of comes off the back of a couple of other horror movies that came out just before I mean like The Exorcism of Emily Rose is a great fucking movie but not a lot of people saw it um, mm-hmm. but you you then started moving into things like uh the Haunting in Connecticut, which is, I think it's circa 2009, then we get The Last Exorcism, then we get The Devil Inside, the, you, you know what I mean? It's like, we then get the, the aptly great named The Last Exorcism Part 2. Um, yeah, do you know, actually, I did notice that because I had to search for it on Amazon. Don't watch it. Don't watch and it. it came up and there was one next to it and I was like, what the, that's just The Last Exorcism as well. And then I'm like, oh my God, what one about to watch? And then when I moved to the next one, I was like, oh, it's part two. I can't remember if that was actually available to stream or if... Because yeah. the Amazon app's funny because they put films up that you can buy next to ones that you can stream for nothing. That's fucking annoying. It's, um, it's not a good movie. It's not found footage either, so... Right, I, right. But it does follow Nell after does the it? event. Right, yeah, it, okay. follows, it follows her pretty much in the aftermath of what happens in this movie. And, like, the last thing I'll say about it is... The, the the thing that I found most frustrating is the Cotton character is one of my favourite characters in any found footage movie ever. Mm-hmm. I think he's fully realised. I think he's really well written. I think the actor is great in the role. Um, yeah, you, by the end of it, you know him inside out. Exactly. Which, and, which is quite impressive because it's not a long film. It's not. It's under an hour and a half. Yeah. And um, yeah, but you, you really know him inside out. Yeah, and I, I think... He's like he's almost too good for this movie, if you know what I mean. He's he's almost too good for a found footage movie, um, as a character. You know, I, 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 you know, on some level, I think this would have been maybe a bit more interesting if it was not found footage. But at the same time, it would be a fairly run of the mill devil movie. Um, mm-hmm. But I think he's great, and I love that last scene, him standing up with a cross and just you know he looks down at it. He gets the calling or whatever it is. He stands yeah. up and walks right for that fucking flames, and that's the last shot we see of him. I love that scene, um, which I would I would have loved that to be the last scene of the movie. Yeah. Do you feel that the the last the minute after that 
kind of cheapens that whole bit. It does totally cheapens. Yeah, it. it's I, like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah, I think if that had been the, if the arc of it had been that ultimately at the very end he actually has to stand up for his faith and walk towards, yeah, the flames holding his cross, and we don't know what happens, I, that would be infinitely happier about about the ending. But it's just it's telegraphed. It's formulaic. It's basic. It's um. It's it's just a frustrating movie, man. I, I think it's really it's just not very well written, and I think that's what I think that's what annoys me. Yeah, I am um, frustrating is probably a good term for it. I I didn't know where I kind of st- I couldn't make my mind up where I stood on it after having watched it because I was a bit unnerved at points. I, I think. Possibly, I'm a little punch drunk because, like, like you say, this is only a couple of days after we've just done four fucking films, so I've it's been a while since I've watched this much horror in, mm-hmm. in this short a time, right? So I'm a wee bit afraid with it, and I specifically because I'd kind of watched the curse during the day and I didn't get the full effect. I specifically waited till night time for this one. I did the whole lights out thing, um, and there was points I was starting to use little diversionary techniques to calm myself <laughs> down, right? So, you know, at that point, well, the film's fucking doing its job here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, they just fucked it in the ass. As they're going towards the house, see what. So they've met um, Logan, the wee gay fella, right? Mm-hmm. They've spoke to him, they're heading back, and they get in the house, and the house is in darkness. And I kind of went. Oh, please don't let them be in the woods doing a satanic ritual. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then again, for some reason, all that graffiti just really See, that, that, yeah, that doesn't, the wrong way. Yeah, that doesn't, that, that doesn't bother me because it's a trope that's been used in other movies. Satan, I yeah. don't think Satanists would do that for a second, but it doesn't bother me. It's, you know, yeah. they did it in Paranormal Activity 3, they did it in, you know, a lot of Satanist movies. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it's, it's like a common trope, but yeah, yeah I just, like, you know, but that point, I'm like, oh god, oh, I don't like the way it's. And I just thought the last five minutes was sloppy and just half-assed. And all I could think after it had finished, all I could think was, you know, you had a good idea that I quite like this idea of the, you know, the preacher falling from faith. I'm sure it's been done elsewhere, right? Mm-hmm. It's probably been done a hundred other times. I had just never seen that particular angle on an exorcism type thing. You know, that it's this man who's lost his faith now and, you know, he, he thinks it's all a fucking joke and, of course, it turns out to be real and he's the one that has to find his faith and find the strength to defeat this thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's the and exorcist, that, though, isn't it? That's the exorcist. The exorcist I mean, is like, a, a, a priest who has lost his faith gets pulled in to exorcise a girl and by the end of it, He's found his faith. That's that's the, the exorcist. One. What side Eh, uh, no, 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 no. The the father. What's his face? The other one. The younger one, right? Yeah, he's it's, he's it's, he's, ha- he's got a crisis of the exorcist. He's, so yeah, he's got a crisis of faith. His crisis of faith is because his mother died. Um, right, and right, he's got this like severe. Yeah, he's got this crisis of faith, and it's Max von Sydow's the guy that kind of talks him back in, and you know, right. and ultimately, you know, by 
taking okay. the demon into him and jumping out the window. Yeah. Uh, once again, huge spoiler, but it's the fucking exorcist, dear God. Um, yeah. You know, no, like, no, fair play, fair he, play. He finds, he but, finds, um, you know, so basically that's been done in the Exorcist, but it's it's an interesting story. It's one you can hook yeah, onto. It was, and I was quite enjoying it, and it's well made, it's well shot, even though it's found footage. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, just those last five minutes, it's like, oh, did you fucking run out of ideas? It ends like, and, how many know, film footage movies have you now seen that end with people running around in the woods? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. It just it was so reminiscent of that. Yeah. Oh, God. And I take on board, I never really thought of it, but I do take on board what you're saying, yeah, if that image of him going, nah, no more, and picking up his cross and walking forward. Yeah. Yeah, if, if they'd finished it there... Yeah. I'm not saying... I, I think I would still have been annoyed about the whole, oh my God, it's a satanic cult in the town type. That would have annoyed me still. Yeah. But, you know... You could have the camera, you could I have... I wouldn't have... Literally, that last minute of them running about, I was fucked off. Yeah. You could have... You, know I mean? you could have the camera people getting abducted, you know, grabbed and pulled back, the camera uh-huh. dropping to the ground, and that's when we see I... him grab his cross yeah. and walk straight yeah, towards stand up. Yeah. 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 I would yeah, have yeah. loved that. Yeah. I would have thought that was a bitching ending, but... That is not the ending we got. Um, so, I, I mean, is there anything else you want to say about this movie, Baz? Um, no, I don't think so. It, it's probably worth watching. Like I say, it's maybe one for the novices, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, or possibly, um, you know, teenagers and stuff like that that are getting into horror. I remember letting the kid watch this one. Ah, yeah, it was yeah a, I think it was a PG-13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In America, yeah, so. so it would have been, what, a 12 over here? 12A, maybe? Yeah. So um, I'd probably let the even watch. I think she might get a bit of a kick out of it. Then again, my daughter being my daughter, she would be raging about the cover. You know, the yeah. cover image. Like, she hates things like that. Um, she would want that in it. And if it wasn't, I could see her maybe being a little bit disappointed about the possessional sides of it. Because it does put it across like it's going to be this crazy exorcist type, you know, possession movie, and it's not really, uh, with the exception of that contortion. But I think had I not seen Emily Rose before, I think the contortion bit would have hit me harder. As it was, I thought that was well done, mm-hmm. but I just thought that the the scenes were longer and more in depth and more impressive in, in Emily Rose. There we go. There we go. Right. Um, so it kind of seems. You sent me mixed messages here. Right? Mm-hmm. You, you kind of said to me that you were getting a wee bit, you were using distraction tactics, you yep. got a couple of scares, even though one of them was a kind of a by-the-by sort of scare. However, I'm getting the feeling that I know where you're coming down with this one. So, Baz, on this second and final movie review of this third episode of Baz v Halloween in our third year... I need to ask you, sir, that on the immortal stage, the pantheon of battle, the gladiator's arena, when you're all sweaty and bloody, Baz, who won this round? Was it yourself or was it Halloween? Um, After a little bit of deliberation, Duncan, I am going to have to chalk this one up to the Baz. Ooh. Um... I think I was just, I was just left feeling a bit deflated with the feet taken out from under me by the ending of the film, to be honest. And it kinda, I think it had it, it had the capacity to fuck me up this film, and it failed ultimately. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not going to give it a win. I'm quite strict with myself on other films, 
Um, I was quite strict with myself and the girl next door. Um, so I'm going to be quite strict with Halloween, and I think it failed primarily due to the ending of this film. There we go. Right, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a very short break. When we come back, we're going to tally up the scores from this episode and see how the playing field lies halfway through this competition with only two episodes left. Four movies to go. Myself and the Baz will be right back right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been episode number three of year three of Baz v Halloween. And after this third instalment in this season, we can say that the Baz is officially in the lead by two clear points. What a difference. All hail the Baz! What a difference a show Kneel makes. before me! <laughs> Baz is currently sitting at four points with Halloween sitting at two. That's a comfortable buffer. Oh, oh Baz. Yes. Takes yes. the pressure off a bit. Currently making Halloween my bitch. You can like relax my a little prison bit. Prison bitch. Just just chill out a little bit, you know. Loosen the muscles off, but don't loosen them off too much, Baz, because oh, see, stop trying to lull me into a false sense of security, McLeish, because you'll just unleash some fucking abomination upon me. <laughs> well, as we're saying that next week you will have another two movies to cover because that's what we do over here. And I think next week is a pretty bitchin' lineup. Um, we are going for a little bit of Absentia by Mike Flanagan, the, the, the guy who can do no wrong at the moment. I fucking loved Hush. I thought Hush was a great movie and I loved Oculus as well. And Absentia is where the man basically put out his stamp, his name, on the horror genre is his movie Absentia. It's a creepy, creepy little bastard of a movie. So I'm very much looking forward to getting into that one. And then, if that wasn't enough, we are going to continue the onslaught of our found footage features. Baz, ooh, you're, you're, you're kind of doing quite well against the found footage this year, but let's see how you handle this kind of lesser known, when I say lesser known, I mean like hardly watched by anyone, British found footage movie called In Memoriam In Memoriam In Memoriam? I can't even say it, that's why no one's watched it In Memoriam um, which is, it's a fascinating little movie it's, it's one of the older ones as well it, it came out before the the huge influx of the paranormal activities as well it's, um, it's an interesting little movie um, I can say I'm kind of confident on one movie for okay. next week um, the other one is basically possibly a, a late mungo scenario and that I don't know where you'll land with it but that has right. the potential to, to be to be something quite special but yeah I, well done sir that's, that's you, Thank uh, you. Thank taking you. the lead we have done this dance many times before um, you dance with no pants. And, and I oh no, sorry, no, the horror film thing you mean? Yes, that's exactly All right. Alright, sorry, my mistake. I also want to say something quite important, Baz. Yeah, it's going then, don't we, your we, show, say what you want, mate. We really did make an achievement on this episode. Do you know what that achievement was? No. We broke the curse. Oh, the third episode curse. Yep, the third episode curse. Well, but cursed. listen, we've not finished yet. <laughs> for those that don't uh, jinx it. For those that don't know, uh, the third episode curse is that the previous two years that we've done Basby Halloween, 
on the third episode, uh, we have lost one of our movie recordings and had to go back and do it again. And that has not happened this year because me and Baz have been on it. Um, yeah. Pretty much all the way if through. that happened three years in a row, I would have just left this show and left the country <laughs> and gone to live in a fucking mountain somewhere. Because <laughs> there's devilry afoot. <laughs> but no, that, that, that curse has been broken. So, um, let's bring this episode in, Baz. I think I think we, we, we need to, to bring it to our close and so you can go away and revel in your victory at the moment and we'll see if let you... me uh, let me withdraw my massive horror phallus from this episode oh. Duncan oh. wipe on your curtains and move on big man <laughs> not the curtains Baz not the curtains <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is a multitude of ways to check out the podcast under the stairs you can check us out on iTunes and we would appreciate it if you do if you um, are over there listening to us on the iTunes that you hit that little subscribe button that way you will never miss an episode of this show and you get access to the entire back catalogue of shows which is all the stuff that Baz has done all the stuff that I've done even right back to when we had the Hairless Wonder as our, our, our other host back in the day you get all those shows um, and if you're doing that if you're subscribing or casually listening on iTunes we would appreciate it if you take two minutes and leave us some feedback it costs you nothing but means everything to us the more feedback we get on itunes if it was five stars for example like i think all of our feedback has thus far been um, the more of that we get the higher up the itunes ratings and charts we get pushed the more likely that people that are just randomly searching for horror podcasts will come across the podcast under the stairs which makes us happy Baz. i don't know about you but i get happy when there's more people listening gives me wood big man <laughs> you I'm starting to think now that there's very little that doesn't give you wood. Um, oh, yeah, that, that, that's true. Honestly, a bucket that, of shit in the corner of a brothel might do it. Possibly. possibly. Listen, the day I end up cracking one out over the seasoning house is fucking good night from me, do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so so uh, yeah, if you wouldn't mind, iTunes subscribers and listeners. Just fucking subscribe and leave us a decent comment <laughs> I wonder where you were going with that uh, yeah just just leave, just leave us a wee bit of feedback it, it really does mean the world to us um, we are on Stitcher Smart Radio we're on SoundCloud we have our own website which is tputzcast.com we have a fantastic Facebook group page you can come across and interact with both myself the Baz but all of our listeners are over there and they are the greatest listeners and the banter is always top notch it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast now, we have another twin-prong attack of social network sexiness. Both are helmed by the Baz, and that is our Twitter and Instagram. Baz, how can they check it out? You can check on by logging on to the World Wide Web, my friend. Head over to twitter.com. Search for at Cast. You will find me there. Twitter will allow you to post anything. Mm-hmm. So you, the stuff you see on our Twitter account, Turn your hair grey, honestly. That's your bag, though. Go in there and check. And if, if you want to see something, just tweet me. I'll probably show you. Oh, dear. If, however, you're a bit more of a clean living person just looking for a little bit of innocent entertainment, head over to Instagram.com. <laughs> Once again, it's at tputzcast.com. And I have tried, and they just will not let me photograph my junk and put it on Instagram. No, no. So, uh, everything there is family. Well, I wouldn't say family friendly. No. My language can be a bit choice sometimes. <laughs> if you have children that can't read, it's okay to let them on. <laughs> but uh, if they can read, yeah, just keep them away. 
in fact, if you listen to this podcast at all, don't let your children have any device that will connect to the internet because if they ever hear this, oh no, you don't you're want fucked. That. You're yeah. absolutely fucked. Yeah, this is our, this is your dirty little secret. Your dirty little it's, secret with the bars. Yes, indeed. Oh, listen to him, ear to ear. Oh. <laughs> Shut the door, head. I'm just listening to a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but uh, we're back in one week and we're past the halfway mark, so it's episode number four of year three of Baz v Halloween Absentia and in memorial. Uh, memorium! Memorium, I can't fucking speak on this show. <laughs> Why do I pick movies with bad names? All movies should just be called Smith from now, or Joe Bloggs. <laughs> We're going to be reviewing Joe Bloggs and Agent Smith next week on episode... Smith tapes featuring John Smith. <laughs> Jane Smith, <laughs> Joe Smith, <laughs> all the Smiths, um, the Smith clan. Um, but yeah, we're back with another two movies in just a week's time. Baz, would you like to say goodbye to our listeners, please? Goodbye, listeners. I'll see you all soon. And from Duncan McLeish, thank you once again for checking out the show. Thank you for all the love and support. Wherever you are, whatever the time is, whatever you're up to in this huge world of ours, thank you for spending time with myself and the Baz. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs saying take care and I'm signing off. Mm-hmm.